crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other! other. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Criminy. We're your hosts, Matt and Angela. Good start. Good start. <laughs> I was thinking, should I say something about like what's going on, or should we just go for Well, it? I know that we've like... gotten shamed by mom for being, quote-unquote, too political. That's right. However, I don't think so, because I think that it's very important for humans to have rights, and um, it's important to speak up about. But we will not drag you into politics this week. We won't week. dwell on it. All we're saying is we're in a lot better shape coming up. Very happy with the election results. Now Way the rest go, of the America. world can stop hearing about how horrible and dumb we are. And we can stop hearing about Thanks. shit we don't need to all hear the about gods. all the time. Yep. Okay, so anyway, I chose this story because when uh, we were in Colorado, I don't remember who brought it up, but then someone was like, oh, do you remember like this happening? And then Zachary and his parents were like, oh my god, that was crazy. So I was like, what the fuck? So I found the story. And uh, a lot of the news articles that I found about it didn't really like go too in depth so I couldn't really find information hmm. but then Netflix has a documentary so I got most of my information from a Netflix documentary called Tread. Marvin Hemeyer was born in South Dakota he joined the Air Force and he excelled at welding and working on motors and then through the Air Force he was stationed in Colorado and then he decided to stay there because when you're coming from South Dakota you're probably like this weather is better. He went on vacation with his dad in fall of 1991 to Granby, Colorado, or like that area, and they stayed there for, they went on like a six-month vacation, which is... What? That's not really a vacation. I know, that's what I was It's thinking. more like a temporary move. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, he decided that he was like, well, I'm here, I might as well buy some property, like invest, because I really like it here. And one of the properties that he looked at had, like, these two cabins and was super cheap, so he decided, I'm going to buy this. Oh, yeah. He worked, he started working at a muffler shop, and he, like, moved up in the business really quickly. He did really well there, and then he decided, I could do this. I can... I can muffle. Do the muffle thing on my own. <laughs> I can do the muffle shuffle. <laughs> So he opened up some muffler shops in like northern Denver and Boulder area and he did really well. So in the documentary they have like his voice recording and he said and I quote, "If you have a champagne income with a beer keg, you're going to do well." What? Okay. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He really wanted to be successful and so he didn't like spend a lot of his money. He kept track of on his money and like he was pretty frugal I think and he ran his businesses for years and he had a reputation for being the best welder around huh. and everyone really liked him he was like a chill dude he had a good reputation he was super outdoorsy he loved to snowmobile like that was his thing well when you got snow you gotta do something yeah he loves snowmobiling 
So, and one night he went to the Lariat Saloon in Grand Lake, and there he met a woman named Trisha McDonald. She was there with a friend, and she'd been, like, divorced a while ago and hadn't dated in five years, and he went up to her and asked her out. Wow. And she was like, okay. And then they started dating, and they dated for several years. She described him as old school and said that he was, like, really wonderful, and they had, like, a really good relationship. They went on road trips, and they just had, like, a really good time together. Hmm. He also had a snowmobiling group that would ride every Thursday, and they called themselves the Thursday Crew. (laughs) They'd, like, all take off work on Thursday and snowmobile. And Marvin would make specialty bumpers out of steel for the snowmobiles that would take down, they said they would take down like four to five inch trees, which good for you what? murdering trees. Yeah, just plow through. They're all don't, very don't proud of around. it. Yeah, no, they're all very proud of their like, okay. their Marv bumpers. All right. So everything's like going pretty well, right? I mean, it sounds like everything's fine in his life. He's yeah, successful. He's, he's got started his a business. He's, he's a snowmobiler. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got hobbies. He's got a business. He's got a partner. Except for. Uh-oh. Life in Granby was kind of challenging. Hmm. It was like a really little town, and it was kind of like the wild, wild west. (laughs) Where you tame the trees. (laughs) You just drive right over them. Marvin felt like in order to get ahead in that town, you had to, like, bring other people down. And it... It's, like, not uncommon in that That's area. That's never a good thing. No, if I know. the only way to get ahead is to bring other people down, I right. think you might want to think about what you're doing. Well, he was like, you know, it's a small town. You should be able to, like, work together and support your neighbor. Yeah. But here, it's like they don't want you to get ahead. Weird. So, I wonder if that, how common that is amongst small towns. Well, and because he, like, he felt like he was an outsider. You know, he wasn't, like, a townie. He wasn't from there. He, like, mm. come in and was trying to, like, make his mark on the town. And he felt like there was resistance there. Gotcha. And in that area, it's really common for temperatures to not get above 10 degrees for, like, two weeks straight. Too cold. No thanks. So people there tend to have to be more independent and kind of willing to go without, because you probably, like, can't go anywhere for, you know, extended periods of time. once, Once you're in, you're in for that time. Yeah. And it's also, you know, a classic small town where everything... Everyone knows everything about everybody, and it's like a little fishbowl area. So when Marv had been in Granby for about two months, he, like, saw this property and found out that it was going to go up for auction. Hmm. It was a foreclosed-on two-acre property with a building on it, and he thought, like, oh, this would be a really good place to put a muffler shop. Everybody needs a muffler shop. Get your muffles muffled. It's like... Muffle your muffle. Every corner has a Starbucks. Well, in this town, every corner has a muffler shop. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what a muffler shop is. They make and sell mufflers, I would assume. For... But what... For cars. Is a muffler. I don't... It's a part... It's the car, like, part of the exhaust system, I believe. Well, I mean, for him to have just a muffler shop, it must be like, people must need new mufflers all the time. No. So it, mu- it literally muffles your car from so making So he must have been doing, like, other stuff, too, in his muffler shop, though. Well, I mean, I assume if, if you're, like, a manufacturer, he's making them and selling them, probably not just in his town. I'm sure, like... Well, he has he's... other, he has other uh, muffler shops, too, yeah. but I just... No, that's, that's a big industry. I, I mean, guess. Everyone has a car. You're going to need your muffler. <laughs> so he 
finds out when the auction is, then he goes to the auction, and then someone else started bidding on the property. His name was Cody Docheff, and he started the bidding at $35,000, and then Marv bid $40,000. So Cody was the owner of Mountain Park Concrete, and he was looking for a property for his concrete operation. He wanted like an indoor building for some concrete mixing or something, and it would have been like the perfect property for him. And Cody brought along his friend Gus Harris, and Gus had been a school bus driver for 50 years, and he was, like, financing the this, like, concrete facility situation. Okay. But he wasn't going to pay more than $50,000 for the property. Mm-hmm. So Marv, like, bid on it, and then he waited and waited, and nobody outbid him, so he got it. So then at the very end of the auction, where they're auctioning off, like, other properties and other things, he said that Cody walked up to him and introduced himself by yelling at him for, like, ten minutes. And he was pissed that he, like, lost this property. You took the property I wanted. Idiot, this is an auction. You should have bid more than. Well, yeah. So... When Marv got the property, it basically had nothing on it except for it had like a concrete, a concrete tank or something that held the sewage. So in 1992, the county told him that he had to hook up water and sewage right. to like the main line. Uh, and he was like, cool, this is going to be like super easy. Like that, they want me to do it. I'm going to do it. Like no big deal. So Ron Thompson's on the board for the sewer district. And he is an outspoken dude, and he kind of took the leadership on this meeting. So it turns out that the closest sewer main to Marv's new property was hundreds of feet away. So in order for him to hook into it, he would have to build, like, this huge line, mm-hmm. and it was going to cost him, like, anywhere from sixty to $80,000. Yikes. More than he even paid for the property. Yeah. So he was pissed, needless to say, and he refused. They never make like, it easy. Fuck No. And he felt like it was like the good old boys club that was preventing him from giving from having his muffler shop. And he didn't like want to pay for the line and they were going to like make him do it. And he was just like really pissed. Yeah. And the Thompson family was what they called a Granby legacy family. They were super wealthy and super established. They owned like a lot of the property in the town mm. and they made a lot of their money in excavation. So they had their own like excavation business. And they've just been there forever, so they're like, you know, the mucky mucks in this small town. So Marv was, like, super mad, but he sucked it up, and then he was, like, still working and making a good living in his muffler shop until 1998. In 1998, the town, they, like, zoned a couple of like, south of his property, which he said it was illegal, but because no one said anything within 30 days, it became, they were, like, allowed to do it. What? And then, and then Dochef decided that he was going to buy the property on the west side of Marv's, like, directly west of his property, and he was going to put his concrete plant right next to a bunch of houses and then downwind from the town. And Marv was pissed because he didn't want, like, he didn't want the plant next to him because yeah, it'd be, like, be really dusty and, and noisy. And, mm-hmm. yeah, gross. Yeah, but he found out about it, like, too late. So they had, they did have public hearings in the town, and, you know, Marv would go, and he would, like, get people riled up and be like, well, what about the dust? And you're just, like, all these people have to, like, live near this plant, and it's going to suck. And then Cody would stand up, and, like, he would get all fired up, too, and be like, this is, like, it's going to create jobs, and, 
like I want my concrete plant, whatever. So after a series of like several meetings, they eventually allowed the concrete plant, but they like, they were like, here are all these conditions you have to follow. He's like, for the dust, you have to like do these things. For the noise, you have to like do these things. So. Okay. Okay. So at the last meeting in 1999, uh, where they approved the plant, Marv promised to fight them all the way. He was angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be pissed too. He like not only were you just you're just trying to buy some property or whatever, and then like someone else is like super angry at you during the bidding process and yells at you, and then is like, "Fuck you! I'm gonna put my shit where I want, and it's gonna disrupt you." And yeah. I'm basically doing it because I'm angry that you took my right. the thing that I thought just was rightfully you. mine. Right. Like okay, go fuck yourself. So as as this is all happening when he's like battling over the concrete plant, the the county or like the town board, they decide they're going to start cracking down on his property because he's not hooked up to the sewer or water. So he goes to the Granby Municipal Court and the judge found him in violation and she gave him a deferred judgment that he cannot use the property for anything until he hooks up to the water and sewer. <laughs> He had to put in 400 feet of water and sewer lines, but now the money wasn't, like, the complete issue. There was a property in the way. Guess whose property was in the way of his sewer line? Oh, my God. Cody Dochef's cement plant. So he purposely built it in a way that this guy couldn't do what he's legally supposed to do to be able to live on his own property. So Marvin said that he needed an easement and Cody was not going to give him one. Right. Then the town decided to fine him $100 a day that he wasn't hooked up. (gasps) What? So when Marv wrote one of the checks he put in the memo line, cowards and liars department. Yeah, seriously. They sent the check back to him and they were like, the amount's incorrect. And then he like lost his shit. So... He goes to the town hall. He felt like they were making things really hard for him because yeah. he was not part of that small town because he was an outsider. Like a hundred dollars a day for violation of not having something that you like. Obviously, he can't afford to do it right now, or like he would have just done it. I mean, unless it's just out of principle, where it's like you can't extort me yeah, and try know. and right. make me pay all this money for something that's such bullshit. Right. He's super mad, and he goes to the town hall because he felt like they were making it all. Yeah, really sounds like it. So at one of the meetings with the town hall board about, like, the town, like, met about Cody, like, moving forward on the property, Uh, Marv showed up with his attorney, and he's like, I think you guys made some mistakes. You're not allowed to, like, move forward. So they stopped everything, and they're like, we're going to look into this and make sure that's all above board and we're doing it the right way. Then Marv filed a lawsuit in district court. But the Dochefs kept moving forward as if it wasn't all put on hold. They were what? still building away, like, doing their thing. And so Marv now has to, like, sit in his muffler shop and stare at them constructing shit when he knows they're supposed to put everything on hold. So and, they're just basically, and I'm like... I'm assuming, like, if he alerts, like, ta- the town, whatever, whoever's in charge the board. of this, the board, mm-hmm. they're just... They're going to be like, whatever. Well, probably. But then... So then, yeah, he's, like, basically, to him... The Cody is like, well, I know I'm going to win, so we're just going to, like, keep moving forward on this and, like, fuck off. Ugh. What an asshole. So, nine months later, the court made its ruling on the lawsuit, and the judge dismissed it completely. Marv was totally lost. 
He was like, I've done everything that I could. He had no support. He felt like his lawyer, he wanted to appeal and his lawyer was like, there's no there's no point in appealing. So he's like, I just like wasted so much money paying you and you're not even like on my side. No one was on his side. He still had to live in this small town where well, he felt Dana like people were trying to run him out. Lawyer from that town? I don't think I don't know. I don't think he was. But he's like he's like at his wits end. Yeah. So one day when he's sitting in his hot tub, he got inspiration. He said that God wanted him to do something that he didn't really understand at first. Oh, no, not God's inspiration. He asked God, adds, why do you want out. me to do this? Oh. Then he started putting the pieces together. Oh. He never had a family, uh-huh. and he'd always been really successful. Yeah. So this must be the reason, because now he can follow through with this plan and get his like rewards uh. from God. Um. <laughs> and then he decided this all... Like, he's going to complete God's plan. And they picked on the wrong man. Uh Uh-oh. So, summer of 2002, Marv went to California. He saw an ad at an auction site that had a Komatsu D355 bulldozer. (laughs) Marv bid on it, and he got a great deal. Then he had it driven out on a flatbed truck from California to Granby. Uh Uh-huh. In July of 2002, he parked it on an access road by his muffler shop and then put a for sale sign on it. And it sat there through the winter to 2003. And one of his friends said that he bought it for intimidation because he like faced it right at the concrete plant. (laughs) And I was kind of like, yeah. So then at some point, Marv decided to sell his muffler shop. He's like, I give up. I can't do this anymore. This is like bullshit so he put it up for auction do you know like during this time did he get the sewer hookup at all no he didn't get it so he's still like having to pay fines yeah he has to pay the fine yeah he has to pay the fines and um cody won't give him the easement so he can't put the sewer in all right i'm i'm bulldozer pissed for him so (laughs) let's go he puts the shop up for auction everything's up for auction even the bulldozer But nobody wanted to buy the bulldozer or the property. And he's like, what the fuck? This is obviously a sign. Everything else is sold. All my tools, everything is gone except for my property and this bulldozer. Well, God works in mysterious ways, as they say. Yeah. (laughs) Around this time, he and Trisha also broke up. Well, that's, I mean, even more of a sign. Like, look, we don't need you to be held back by anyone. Yeah. Well, she said that she she hadn't been... She, like, was a smoker, and then she, like, stopped smoking for, like, nine years or something. And then she was, like, kind of a closeted smoker, and then Mar found out, and they got into a huge fight, and then broke up. Hmm. So, they broke up, and then he moved the bulldozer into the building on his property. And the other sign from God is this bulldozer barely fit. It was like an inch less wide than the door frame. Oh my God. And like maybe a foot shorter. So it like barely fit in this building. And he was like, this is a fucking sign. (laughs) So uh, he knew that he was supposed to buy this bulldozer because he's like i could have gotten like the smaller bulldozer but for whatever reason i knew i wanted this giant bulldozer he had a little whisper in his ear he did Uh and then he got it inside so he could work on it and he was like sign from god it fits so in fall of 2003 
Travis Busey, Busey and his partner were, they owned like a trash company and they negotiated with Marv to lease his two acres as a staging station for their trucks. Mm-hmm. So Travis offered Marv $400,000 for the property and then Marv agreed to it. Yeah. Then they basically like back rented the building to him because he wanted to keep the building because that's where his bulldozer was. Now they own the property. They're like, we'll rent the building space okay. to you. Right. And he said he's never done anything like that before, but he knew that he needed to do it because God Gotta told him. Gotta protect that God-blessed bulldozer. That's right. Mm-hmm. So then Marv got to work. He started prepping his bulldozer. He set up, like, a little makeshift bed and, like, living area in the building. And he, like, he said that he'd stay there for, like, days. He had, like, a little TV that he could watch movies. And then, yeah, he would just stay there for days at a time without, like, a shower or, I'm guessing, like, sewage, right? He got a bucket, probably. I mean, it's getting rugged. So Look, he... God told him he had to be in there with his precious bulldozer. That's right. So he also put up surveillance cameras on the outside of the shed, and then he would work all night and then sleep during the day. So the garbage, the guys who owned the garbage company, they were like, I think that he would like watch us just to like get our schedule down. So then he knew like when we were done for the day, then he would like start working. And then during the day, he'd be like super quiet and we would be like there and working. So then he decided to take the winter off. God does like God, secrets. He likes God likes keep secrets, it secret. and he also likes winter sports. So he allowed oh, he Marv to take the winter, winter off. <laughs> so Marv went snowmobiling and relaxed, uh, and you know did his thing. And every time I've gone and seen God on the slopes, yeah, just he loves snowshoeing or uh, what's it called. <laughs> cross-country skiing. Yeah, all of it. He likes all of it. He likes a sled as well. (laughs) So during this time off, he was like, well, I'm still open to a sign if God's changed his mind, but God didn't change his mind, Mm -hmm. so neither did Marv. Then, (laughs) so Marv gave all that money that he got from selling his property to his father, and then his father distributed it to his two... To Marv's brothers and sister. What? Why? Because he didn't want to have to deal with the money anymore. What? <laughs> I don't know. So in March 2004, Marv's father died. Okay. And he like went to the funeral and he, he was like really pretty, you know, devastated by that. And then he also sold his snowmobiles and his house. Okay, that's not good. He's giving up his hobby things. This Mm -hmm. is getting dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so June 4th, 2004, a reinforced bulldozer heads to the concrete plant. Get him, Now, this bulldozer, what he had done was he took two sheets of steel, put concrete in the middle, and then put them all around the bulldozer. So it looks like a fucking tank. (laughs) This thing is insane. And then he said, too, like, when the dudes bought the place from him, they had to have an inspection. And he, like, covered the bulldozer in, like, tarps. And they're like, oh, what's this? And he made up some kind of story about how it's, like, they're working on, like, cooling engines or something. And then he's like, and they just, they didn't even look. So that was also a sign from God that I was like, I would have gotten caught if I wasn't supposed to be doing this. Clearly, I'm supposed to be doing this. What's that huge thing behind you under the tarp? Nothing. Just a really big, um, 
toaster. Mm-hmm. We're a little basically experimenting with the big toasts. So um, nothing to see here. And they're like, oh, you know, I've always thought that toast should be bigger. Genius. Uh-huh. Genius. Okay, keep, well, keep, keep on going. with your your work, man. That's good work you're doing there. Mm-hmm. So it's completely enclosed in these steel plates, and you can't see who's inside. So it's like driving. They just, like, see it coming. And they say that you could hear, like, the tread squeaking, and it's just, like, this big, like, squeaky... How did he get it out of the building if it barely fit in when he went in? Well, he kept the measurements the same. Okay. He just reinforced it all. All right. <laughs> so... Cody, Cody like runs out and he's like, what the fuck is happening? And then an, an employee of his hands him a handgun. So he starts shooting at what? the bulldozer, but it's not doing anything. Yes. First of all, your first reaction is like, here, here's a pistol. <laughs> Shoot it. Get it. Get it. What the fuck? So he's like shooting at it. The bulldozer is still going like totally impenetrable. Uh-huh. Then it starts crashing into the building. Yeah. Go Marv. So they like they threw things in front of they're like the treads like that's the only way we can stop this. So they started like throwing things in front of the treads. Didn't do anything. Like this bulldozer is still going. <laughs> then someone tried to climb up the back, but it's all like slick and like they said he said like, <laughs> like oh I thought they put it? like yeah he said I thought he put like Vaseline or like oh, grease or something shit. on it so I couldn't like grab anything so they couldn't climb on top. And then. Cody, like, runs and gets, like, a small front-end loader, and he starts ramming it into the bulldozer, <laughs> and then he, like, tries to, like, lift it, but the bulldozer is so heavy, so he just, like, keeps hitting it, and then one time he, like, rams into it, and he hits it so hard that his head hits the windshield, and he passes out. <laughs> then, so he's knocked out. Then Marv goes to the back of the little Tank. bulldozer where he has a 50 caliber rifle what? pointing out of it the and fuck? he starts shooting <gasps> and he shoots into Cody's like the bucket of his uh machine mm-hmm. but then Cody like wakes up and then he realizes like oh my god I'm okay and then he's like this isn't worth it I'm fucking out so then he like bails and then at this point there are like police that are surrounding the place <laughs> but police are like what the fuck how do we even like you this is impenetrable you cannot get through this so then Cody yelled that it was Marv, and they're like, how do you know it's Marv? He's like, I just know it is. I know it's him. But he thought that Marv had, like, rigged it to, like, some kind of radio system or, like, remote control. So he didn't, they thought that, like, no one was in there. Oh, shit. So, so the bulldozer is still, like, ramming through and demolishing <laughs> this building. And the police, they just, like, didn't know what to do with this, like, fucking tank. So they start firing. They're, they saw, like, these little <laughs> portholes, basically, and they're, like, that's the... They're, like, two inches big. And they're, like, this is the only way we can get in. Like, they start firing. But that... They were also reinforced. So nothing's getting in this thing. <laughs> so then, Marv starts firing at the officers with his fifty caliber gun. And he... Then he starts, like... They, they had, like, these barriers up, and they're, like, hiding behind the barriers. So then Marv turns the tank and starts driving towards the barriers. Then the police, like, <laughs> run. They, like, scatter. And good thing they did, because this thing just drives right over them. Holy and, like, crashes shit. them. So then he starts going through this parking lot, and he... Uh, there's, like, an unmarked police officer's vehicle, uh-huh. and he just, like, rams it until it, like, flips, and then he drives <laughs> over it. He's, like, fucking over it. So then uh. he heads to his next target. He gets onto the highway. On the highway! On the highway! And the police are trying to evacuate thing, the like, town. This thing going, what, like five miles an hour yeah, going down like the very road? Fast. Yeah, but they couldn't stop it. They couldn't <laughs> stop it. So they're, like, trying to evacuate the town. And then an officer finally gets to the top of the of the tank. 
and he's like, I'm going to get in. There must be some kind of like latch to get in. There's nothing. There's no way in this tank. So he's literally just sitting on top of this bulldozer, like riding it down the highway because he doesn't know what to fucking do. Oh my god, he sealed himself inside. He did. And And then the officer sees that there's like the only way to get in or the only way to like get something penetrate in through. yeah penetrate yeah. is there is a, this big like exhaust fan like for an rv is there so we start trying to fire his gun through the exhaust fan but nothing's happening mar's still driving it then he starts getting flashbangs and shoving them down there <gasps> but still nothing marvin's still <laughs> driving it it's crazy it does nothing so then the bulldozer hits its next target which is mountain peak electric mountain park electric he smashes the building. He just, like, keeps driving in and out, in what and out. What was his beef with them? Well, one of the dudes he had beef with, like, used to work there. They're not quite sure. But okay. one of the dudes used to work there, and then he thinks maybe he was, like, looking for him. He felt slighted by someone there. Someone there. So then after Mountain Park Electrics is demolished, he starts heading towards the town hall. And at this time, there are police officers, like, driving next to him. They don't know what to do. There's no yeah. way to, like, stop this guy. Yeah, so the problem with the town hall was it was on the second floor, but the first floor was a public library. <laughs> and there were, like, children and a librarian oh, inside. No. So the police, like, ordered a shelter in place. So the librarian was like, this tank's coming our way. We think we're probably going to be safe. We'll just, like, hunker in. And, like, the you know. The books will protect us. Well, she didn't know they were coming for... She, she didn't know what it was doing. Uh-huh. So then... So then, like, shortly after they're, like, shelter in place, then they were like, get the fuck out. So then <laughs> she, like, grabs the kids and they leave just in time. And Marv goes around the back of the town hall, driving over this, like, jungle gym playset thing, just, like, <laughs> smashing the swings and slides and everything. And then, and then he bulldozes the building. So then, after he bulldozes the library and the town hall, he goes back out onto Main Street and and at this point someone noticed that there's like a camera sticking outside out, sticking out of the back of the bulldozer and then they see another camera so they realize he's got five cameras like front oh, and that's how he's seen back. It around yeah okay. and they're rigged up inside to these like um tv monitors so that's how he can see like what's happening and that's why they how they can all be like super reinforced while still <laughs> seeing what's going on so, also, you can see pictures, like, inside. The monitors are, like, so fucking old. They're just, like, those little, like, what you would imagine, like, little black and white TV oh, yeah. monitors. He also rigged up a bunch of hoses to a compressed air tank in the cab because he knew that there would be so much, like, dust and rubble. So he's able to, like, blow the dust out of the way so we could still see what was happening. Oh. Crazy. <laughs> so then Marv starts heading to Sky High News. Because he's got beef with a newspaper reporter. All right. So he's ramming into the front of the building. (laughs) And then there are still reporters in there. One of them is the one that he's after. And they're, like, escaping out the back as the whole building is shaking. And they're running, trying to get out. So they get out the back, and they escape. escape, And then the entire building collapses. (laughs) Then there's no way to stop him. They don't know what to do. So then he's headed to the Thompson's house. I mean, God blessed him. God blessed him. He's protecting He's him protected. on this journey. So the Thompsons have a house near their like construction area, and that's where their mom lives. And he's headed there. So then the brothers like call their mom and like, "Mom, you need to get you need to get out of the house." Because yeah. she was like napping, and they wake her up. They're like, "You need to leave." And she's like, "What?" And they're like, "Just get in the car and drive out of town. Like, just leave." So she gets out just in time. 
and then in the meantime, an officer, like, this dude, like, shows up. I don't quite understand it. He must have been another officer. I don't know. But in the in the movie, he shows up, and there's just, like, this huge, like, gun sitting on his seat. And he's like, I got a present for you. And the officer's like, cool. And it's, like, this fifty caliber, like, gun. And so he starts shooting that at the tank, but it does nothing <laughs> at all. So really, they're like fucked so then he crushes I just imagine marv in there just laughing maniacally like the entire time as he's bulldozing this whole and, like, town people are trying to stop him yeah like, there's no <laughs> way you i tried to get your help and like none of you guys helped me and uh-huh. you all fucked me over so eat this yeah yeah <laughs> so he crushes uh thelma thompson's house just like demolishes it okay so then he heads over to their construction yard and then he starts destroying that and then he like he like drives through all of their buildings and then like their rental properties. They had like rental <laughs> oh, homes, and he's shit. just driving through all the rental homes. Yeah. So at this point, like a bunch of townspeople are just like outside on a ridge, like watching him demolish their town. Like what do they can't do? What anything? do they do? <laughs> what do you do? So helicopters and news trucks start showing up, and then he heads over to Independent Gas. I mean, I don't want to like say you know. I don't want to be like, yay, everyone should do this. But I do feel a little bit like, (laughs) I I feel, I don't know if I want to say it, but I I just, it feels good. Like, can you imagine like being so upset, like having someone basically take away your right to have a home and like hook up your sewage line and Mm -hmm. fuck with you. And then like, not today guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's fucking over. You pushed me too you far. You pushed me way too far. Now it's your turn. I've do- I did all the legal things I could do. Yeah. It all fell apart. So now it's like every oh, no. man like, for it himself. Must, it must have felt so good for him. Like, to... <laughs> But at this point, he's talking to God, so I don't really know. I mean, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> It's not good. You shouldn't destroy it's anything not that's not yours, obviously. But like... It must have felt good in the moment of, like, you've been fucking me over so hard for so many years. Now you get to feel my wrath. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, don't, don't, nobody go bulldozing their town. It's not good, but. No, but this is the part, because when we were in Colorado, I think Zachary was like, do you guys remember when that dude, like, bulldozed that town? And then his parents like, oh, yeah. And they, like, watched it. They were watching it happen on the news, just being like. What the fuck is happening yeah. right now? So they have like it was like international news where everyone right. like how do you stop this guy? Look at him destroy this town. So now he's headed over to the gas place, and there are rows and rows and rows of industrial sized propane tanks. Oh shit! So up the hill from the gas business, there was like a senior citizen living community. There was a trailer park and there were other residences all within the blast area. So they were like, we're fucked at this point. So Mar starts shooting at the tanks and he was using incendiary rounds. Uh So they do like, they like flash and like there's smoke. So they were like, if it catches, like we're fucked. So he was trying to take out the propane tanks and then he moves to the transformers because he's like, maybe I can get one of these transformers down. On the back of the bulldozer, there was, like, a ripper thing, and it wasn't able to dig far enough, so it was actually getting in the way of the gun. So he, like, kept shooting his own, like, armor, basically. Uh, But he did get some shots out, and one of his bullets did hit a power transformer, but none of them got through the propane tanks, fortunately. So then he was like, fuck this. I'm going to my next target. 
So he leaves the gas business and then he gets back on the highway. There they tried to stop him. So they're like calling in for like anyone to help, basically. They're like calling in SWAT teams. They're calling in the National Guard. They're just like asking for help. So this guy shows up. They're like, we need bulldozers because this guy is a bulldozer. We need bulldozers. Bulldozers. This guy shows up with what they called a scraper and it just looked like this like long truck thing. And they're like, oh, this is going to stop a bulldozer. So they park it in front on the ramp in front of the bulldozer. He just drives right fucking like, he just like pushes it out of the way. And they're like, stop him. They're like, we can't. Like, it's, he's got a bulldozer. He's like pushing us. Oh, so then they're calling in like the National Guard to send in helicopters or like whatever they can get. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, what do you do to what stop do you it? do? You need a bigger bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets on the highway and then he like gets back onto the main street at this time the engine of the bulldozer begins overheating oh, no. and they saw that he'd used antifreeze and the whole thing is like smoking oh, no. but he like kept going he was starting to lose power but he he like drove up to this store that some dude owned that he had beef with and he just like kept ramming the store because he was like fuck I don't give a fuck so, I mean, basically, you're going to prison for a long time anyway. You might as well just take out yeah, more buildings. Yeah, go, go, go for it. As long as lives aren't lost, just take out the buildings. I mean, fortunately, how lucky is that? Yeah. I mean, I guess, like you said, bulldozers go pretty slow, so you could probably see it coming towards you. You could probably run away, but... And when you are saying, like, the when he was ramming in and people were running out the back of the building, yeah. like, you would feel the first blast and then... Be like, what the get, fuck the fuck get the fuck out! <laughs> So God's sw- here. <laughs> so at this time, a SWAT team was headed towards Granby, and they were still they were like tr- they're still trying to block. So Marv like drives towards uh, on the side of the store, and then they put the scraper behind him where he could, where he'd have to back out because they're like, oh, maybe this will stop him. Where it's like mm-hmm. it didn't before, so I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so the only thing that Marv didn't realize, and that a lot of people didn't know, was that the store that he was bulldozing had a basement Uh oh so at some point (laughs) he gets stuck one of his treads gets stuck on like the right side and then the bulldozer stops oh no for the first time and the machine shuts down and then they're like what the fuck is he doing and they start getting ready for a gunfight. They're like, this has been so intense. He's probably going to come out, like, guns blazing. Yeah. What has he got to lose? So, like, pair up. And they're all stationed around, like, freaking out ready. Shit. A short time later, though, they heard a gunshot. Ah. A couple of sheriff's deputies climbed on top of the bulldozer but couldn't get inside. And by that time, the SWAT team came in and they set up some explosives and they were like throwing explosives at this bulldozer and they're like if he's not dead already he's probably dead from one of these blasts but it doesn't it doesn't get in through his armor no, but, but it like shakes yeah. the shit out of his thing so after that they're like well for sure he's dead it's probably safe to like get on top of this thing and cut it open so they cut it open on the morning of the 5th and they see that Marv had shot himself with a three fifty seven. He, like, put it in his mm-hmm. mouth and pulled the trigger. So he was for sure dead. This was worldwide news, except for the next day, Ronald Reagan died. And so then the story was, like, nothing. Where it's like, who gives uh, a fuck? Yeah, a bulldozer is so much more interesting. A small town? Than a yucky, Rather yucky... than Satan dying? Yeah. Who gives a fuck? I mean, Ding Dong the Witch is dead. That's good, but like... Right, but... but like, the bulldozer, yeah, guys! what the fuck? 
So he had, like, caused millions of dollars in damage to this town, and they ended up destroying the bulldozer, which one of the guys was like, that was really a dumb idea. We should have made it into a museum. Yeah. But they, people, like, took so it apart. people would have paid to see that. Right? They took all the parts. They took it all apart. Oh, my God. And he, Trisha and his, like, Thursday crew or whatever, they scattered his ashes on the mountain. Oh, his Thursday crew, and they all made their snowmobiles look like little tanks, yeah. and they were like, in memory of Marv. <laughs> but, so there are always, there's always another side to the story. Uh-huh. So here's the other side Uh-oh. of the story. okay. Neither Cody nor Gus remember talking to Marv at the auction. They said that, I mean, he'd, like, lost out on properties before. He's like, why would I be pissed? It doesn't really matter. So they both said that they just, like, walked out. They, like, lost the auction. They just, like, got up and left. And it wasn't a big deal. Mm. And the Thompson family, like, the whole town was, like, you know, they're really hardworking, good people. They're, you know, they've had their fair share of hardships. Now there are just two brothers left. And they still do, like, all the excavating themselves. They're like millionaires, but they still work because yeah, they like to, and I mean, they won't hire anyone else. But this is all information from townspeople well, who that's know true. them, who like would of course be like, well, "We're on their side. They're the best boys. They they do all the good stuff." And it's like, I don't know. It could be true. It could be a hundred percent true, or it could just be they're our town folk, right? Like, protect your protect own, them. yeah, right. So Marv said that one day the father of the Thompson family, who had been on the board and then was like a mayor. F- the mayor for, like, the last few years of his life. He was working on, like, a foundation for a house, and Marv confronted him and told him that he wanted $300,000 that Thompson had cost him over the years, and Thompson said that he wasn't going to happen. And Marv told him that he'd get it one way or another, and then Marv said that as he was driving away, he heard Thompson scream at him, you can suck my dick. (laughs) And for Marv, that confirmed that he knew... That he was in the wrong, because why would you yell something like that unless, why would you get all frustrated unless you knew that, like, you were doing wrong? I don't know. I mean, I just, maybe I, I just like the story of Marv and <laughs> For getting the little revenge. Because also, like, of course you would say that if you're being questioned. You wouldn't want to be like, oh yeah, I was a, the biggest asshole in the world to that guy. Right. We deserve to be, like, plowed over. Right. Because also, what, what's, why would he have a do the thing where he buys the property right next door and is like, oh, I'm not going to let you hook up your sewer line, even though we know that you are getting fined daily. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. So, also the Thompsons say that everything, all the things were, like, political, and they weren't trying to get him out of town. But it's like, yeah, but you guys were, like, running the being politics. Yeah. Like, you were in charge of all of it. So, I don't know. So, then there was that newspaper reporter that he was, like, really mad at. Mm-hmm. So the reporter said that he went, he told Marv that he wanted to do a story on his muffler shop and give him, like, uh, attention. And then Marv said that the reporter hated him. And he was doing everything in his power to keep Marv from getting any publicity. Uh, But the reporter said that he went down to the muffler shop, like, a few different times for the interview, but it was never open. That Marv kept really weird hours because he was just supporting his, like, snowmobiling. I mean... Yeah, I would believe both sides. I don't know, because, like, on the one hand, you're a reporter for that town. Of course you're going to say whatever to make your town look good. Yeah. But on the other hand... Yeah, I I mean, if you go somewhere, like, three times, though, and he's never there, you're kind of like, what do I do? I mean, call and make an appointment and be like, come in? 
or let yeah, me know. You should, have an, you should know. make an appointment. You should have an appointment. So then, so then he ran into Marv at some point, and Marv was like super pissed at him. So what he did was he offered him a free ad in the newspaper. So he ended up running like an ad for about two hundred dollars. He did it for free for Marv's muffler shop. So that's like a decent. But that doesn't make sense. Why would he want to? If he's already feeling slighted by Marv and like Marv's pit, like why would you? Well, even... I don't think that he really cared. I think he was just kind of like, well, I'll do the story for you. And Marv is like, cool. And then he's like, well, he's never there, so I don't know what to do. And then Marv like approaches him and he's like, you never showed up, like fucking whatever. And he's like, sorry, man, like I did show up, but you know, to make you feel better, I'll give you. I can't write the article for you because you're never there, but I'll give you like ad space. I don't know. Well, I mean, but like we were just saying, why would you, as a reporter? not make an appointment to have an interview like it's not like it's the 1700s like you have a telephone you call and be like hey you wanted to do the interview when's good for you that's good for me too i'll meet you there right you don't just you don't just show up yeah i don't know uh as for the easement situation apparently cody did offer the easement to marv and he was like if you'll as long as you'll drop the lawsuit I will get you the easement. Like, just stop suing me and you can have it. Like, it's fine. Mm. But then I guess Marv just, like, hung up on him. And then they said that it was standard procedure for everyone to have to hook up to water and sewage. Yeah. And, like, as soon as Cody bought his property, he was hooked up within, like, a day. You know, it, like, wasn't a big deal to just hook up. Yeah, it's, like, kind of expensive, but it's just standard operating procedure. I mean, what if he didn't have that money he just spent on the property? Well, not then, but then he was doing really well for himself. I mean, he said that he was making, like, a shit ton of money. So at any time between 1991 or 92 when he bought the property, 1998, when they were like, come on, man. Yeah, that is a long time. He should have hooked up at some point. And then the property was open at that point, so he, like... And then they were also saying that after Cody, like, hooked up, then he probably could have just, like, hooked up to Cody's hookup or something. Like, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. So... Mm. And I think it's pretty reasonable to be like, man, don't sue me. Like, st- drop the lawsuit and yeah. you can have what you want. Like, I don't give a fuck. If that, yeah, if that's how it went, like, of course, yeah. I'll, and then... You can have this, like, build your shit. Just do it. As for the check that he sent in, they sent back, uh-huh. like, wrong amount. What actually happened was, you know the line where you, like, write out the words? He, like, accidentally wrote one of the wrong numbers or something. So they just sent it back and they're like, hey, can you fix this? And then he fixed it and then sent it back and it was fine. And huh. it went through. So, like, wasn't, he wasn't being, like, slighted. He just, like, wrote out the check wrong. Yeah, because I was going to say, it, you can put whatever you want in the four line on a check. It, right. It doesn't matter. It right. was still cash. So right. So, that couldn't have been the reason. So, the other thing is that the two acres that he had on his prop that he had bought with his property, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I guess at some point he was going to sell it to Cody and they agreed on $250,000 for the two acres. And then last minute Marv pulled out of the deal and mm. said he wanted $375,000 instead. And then Cody was like, okay, that's fine. I'll pay that. And hmm. then he backed out again for some reason. Yeah. So it's like, and then everyone in the town, obviously, because Cody was like a townie, they're like, oh, he built himself up from the ground up. And, you know, he was like really hardworking guy. Uh, he would just like, tell you like it is like he he's like a good dude but he does have like a fiery temper but then it sounds like if he was offering to buy that property from him for way more i mean he like but we only know like what he says and what what everyone else is saying everyone else is like it's yeah sure in that in that state yeah marv is the idiot like 
being a jerk, not following through on his word and all that. But we don't have Marv's side, really. Right. But the only thing that the... So, my whole thing is, like, if you think God is talking to no, you, No, that's, that's a big problem. Especially when it's, like, supporting something that you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, no, not, God's not going to take the time to be, like, you specifically, mm-hmm. we're making a plan. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that does not ever happen. Well, and the documentary is good because he basically, like, recorded, like, a manifest, like, he, oh, he so recorded could, his okay. side of the story. Okay. So, Throughout the thing, it's, like, a lot of his side of the story. And then they, like, go and interview the townspeople. But, like, so I was feeling the same where I'm, like, kind of torn. Because, of course, they're not going to talk about, about their town yeah. or about each other. Like... There's so... I mean, small towns are so tight-knit anyway that it's, like, you know, we all know the real story. But we're all going to say this one side or whatever. Because right. we're not, we don't want to make our town sound bad. And... But the other side of it is, like, Marv... He was, like, really successful. Like, the town did support him. They went to his muffler shop. Like, he was making money, and he was doing fine. He was, like, living the American dream, basically. You know, he was a businessman who, like, started his own businesses. He sold his property. He bought it for 40000 and sold it for 400000 yeah. yeah. Like, I don't... <sighs> no, there's something a little not right. He, like, had it all, and he was fine. His friend, Like, his friends were just like, yeah, he was super also, chill. Because also, there's one thing about, like daydreaming about bulldozing your rivals whatever right? and being like oh yeah that would feel so good and there's another thing about like living in a garage shitting and pissing in a bucket yeah and building your tank yeah. to actually do it well and it was crazy too because like his friends they were like yeah we knew he was like kind of upset about it but he didn't like we would have never thought he was that mad about it all like hmm. he didn't seem like that pissed off and then like his i think that he just made it up in his mind that he was gonna like take everyone down well, and then kill himself. It sounded and then... like he had one he might have like a victim complex. For where sure. He's like, the town hates me. Yeah. And now my girlfriend left me and I had to sell all my stuff. And now all I have is this like stupid garage that barely fits my tank. And gonna, <laughs> like, fuck everyone. This is my sign from God that like I'm at the lowest of my low. Yeah. And everyone but else really, is to blame. But really he was like really successful. And if he didn't want to live there, he could have moved somewhere else, you know? I like, don't think like, yeah, but in that victim comp minded complex, what is it called? Victim, victim complex. Consciousness. Where he just is like, everything is against him. It's like anything that happens it, it's, it's just not, so crazy. You don't, you don't have that mindset of, oh, okay, well, it's not working out for me here. I'll just pack up and move somewhere else. It's like, no, I have to fight this fight. Right. Because obviously they're sliding me. Well, there was like another part too where he said that after he lost the lawsuit, he would like go get his mail and like one of the dudes like snicker at him. <laughs> but then the dude was like, I don't, like, I'm not going to laugh at him. Like, what? Well, yeah, what does it matter to me? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. It's not my property or right it's not my fucking town i don't fucking care if he lost his lawsuit or whatever same deal small town rumors gossip yeah you just don't know there's probably a little snickering like haha he thought he was gonna get away with this lawsuit or whatever and like obviously he didn't because we're in the right i mean maybe i don't know but then the other thing is like when they're at the town hall meetings about the concrete plant and then the one dude i mean he was like on the board, so he's, like, kind of a politician, so he's going to say whatever, but he was like, yeah, we really appreciated Marv bringing our attention to, like, some of the issues, because I think that it turned out to be, like, a good deal, because we, like, actually, you know, made it 
made the deal with stipulations, like you have to take care of the town. Yeah. The, there are residents there. What about the dust? What about the noise for the residents and all that? And like they were just like, oh yeah, we all worked together. Like it was fine. But huh. it does seem a little like something. Yeah, like he's got some kind of complex. If he's... so, toss salad, scrambled egg, right? The toss salad and the scrambled egg. The toss salad. A scrambled egg. The toss salad. The toss salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a toss salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the toss salad has more components. The person is able to com compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. I, I think I think a touch of the scrambled egg. Yeah, he kind of lost it. It seemed like he had, like you said, he had money and he was able to buy property and like he could have just fixed or hooked up his sewage or whatever. Yeah. And just dealt with the problem and moved on but he, he could have sold those two acres to the dude and then, and then it would have been in a different place it. and then he could have like hooked up and been like hey i'll give you this property just like keep your cement plant like a little bit outside of town you know on the back acre or whatever yeah it, it's and if he was willing to pay like three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for those two acres and he could still have kept his shop and like i said it, it's a leap from fantasizing about you know, taking out your right. enemies or whatever, or getting even revenge, but to actually follow through with it, I think either you're a little bit mentally ill or... Well, and he was doing it all the snowmobile. So it's like, sell your property and then fucking retire and snowmobile all the time, you know? He could have had a snowmobile shop. He could have put in bumpers that will kill trees on everyone's snowmobiles. And mufflers. And... Yeah. He was the best fucking welder. <laughs> yeah. Some... That's the other thing. Like, do you think that maybe, like, the toxins chemicals? from welding made him know. crazy? I don't know what the toxins for welding are or do. Because yeah. also, I don't know, the fact that his girlfriend supposedly left because she was secretly smoking. I mean, I understand if, you know, obviously if you're doing things in secret from your partner, I think you're basically, like... basically you're lying, which is like, well then how are you trustworthy? You know, like just tell me what you're doing and we yeah. can figure it out. So I well, get at that, that, but also like, really, that sounds like if they've been dating for like years, to, yeah. To like, okay, I know you have a problem with cigarettes and I noticed you've been smoking secretly. Like let's mm -hmm. deal, let's deal with this and figure out, how to either... So that's what I feel like that was kind of one of the signs that he was, like, cracking. Yeah, because I if wonder what she... Mad. I want to know what her perspective of him was. Well, she's still really... I think she still, like, really cared about him. And then in, like, in the, in the interview, her okay. and the friends and everything, and, like, one of his friends was like, yeah, I think that he was more in love with her. So it was, like, really devastating when she mm. left. And then he was too... He was like, I think he was too lonely. He spent too much time in that hot tub drinking beer alone. Like, he was really <laughs> lonely. And I think that, like... Maybe it was one of those things where they just, like, had this huge fight over something, like, pretty minor, and then he had already, like, kind of lost it, and then she said that she saw him because she got a job at, like, a dentist's office, and they were, like, going to put a crown in, and it was, like, a month or so before the whole thing. 
I think like a month. And she said, I had no idea. Like he gave me a hug and he was like, you're the best thing that ever happened to me in this town. And so they ended amicably. Yeah, they still, I think they still really cared about each other. I think that it was just one of those things where you have a big fight and then you don't really know how to like. Or like she, she noticed like you have some things you need to work on or whatever. And like, I still care about you. And like, we're not breaking up because you did something horrible to slight me. But like. I can't deal with, like, whatever's going on with you right yeah. now. I mean, who knows? But a lot of the people, like, a lot of his friends and everyone that they interviewed, they were like, yeah, he felt like he had been slighted and he felt, like, frustrated, but they had no idea how far it had gone. Huh. Which is just crazy, but it feels like maybe to him he just felt like he was losing everything. Yeah. When he had everything, you know? I don't know. That's but crazy. sometimes, you know, like... Some people think money is everything, but really human contact and relationships are what it's about. And when you have none of that, and it seemed like he was alone in that But he did, though. He had, like, his friends, and he had, like, his relationship, and Yeah, but his relationship ended, and, like, do his friends live in town, or are they from where he's from? Well, they get together, like, once a week, at least. Well, his snowmobiling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think, like... It was probably a big loss to him to not have his girlfriend and then... Well, clearly, because he started living in a fucking warehouse, like, peeing in a bucket. <laughs> I mean, a lot of us put a lot of self-worth in, like, relationships and being able to maintain something. You know, like, you're told at a young age, like, this is what you do. You find someone and then you settle down and live happily ever after. And people put a lot of a lot of effort and time and energy into, like, finding the one and then, like, keeping them and, like... Well, and in his, like, like, manifesto or whatever it was, when he was, like, oh, I just, like, I wondered why I never had a family. Yeah. And it's for this reason. It's, like, no, dude, that's not the reason. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna try and make up excuses of, like, why I'm not living the quote-unquote dream of, like, oh, well, maybe I'm supposed to be build a bulldozer. Well, I think part of it... <laughs> I think part of it was, yeah, that he was lonely and just, like... Yeah, there's yeah. a huge part of depression where you're, like, well, I'm alone, got nothing else, might as well just, like, like who cares about my life? I don't. No one else does. So, right. you know what? I'm just going to enact my fantasies and... Even though, like, that's not accurate. No, but when you're in that mindset, no, that's for what sure. You, that's, no, I know that. But yeah, from the outside, people so, are like, "What do you mean you have like support? You do have people. But it doesn't you do feel have... like that, even if no, you I know. know. No, I, and I know you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, I'm reiterating, like, it doesn't. No matter how much love and family and friends you have, when you're in that mindset, you feel alone and like there's nothing anyone can say or do that will change how you feel about how much you suck. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I think he's got, he got he got a little scrambled. Yeah, I think he was going through something, it sounds like. Because it sounds like he was perfectly capable of creating a business, running mm-hmm. business, doing, like, hands-on stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously capable of, have, of having relationships with friends and partners. Yeah. But and they all talked really fondly of him. Like, they all really liked him and thought he was, like, a good person. And he just cracked. Yeah. Sounds like some kind of egg cracking. Cracked egg. Cracked egg. 
All right. Well, the end. Good one. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at pictures. This thing is like so intense. Yeah. There we go. Okay. All right. Now for your story. But before we get to your story, just a quick word from our sponsors. sponsors. Humblebee Herbal. They have a lot of cool fall stuff now. Uh, they got a soap that smells and looks like pumpkin pie. And if you love pumpkin pie, like I do, you got to try it. I might be tempted to eat the soap. Though. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> also, they don't use any fragrance oils, so they use essential oils to make that pumpkin pie smell, which a lot of people, I feel like, are using fragrance oils, Ooh. and it's really nauseating yeah. and gives me headaches. So try out their all-natural, always-good products, and use Crimeony20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's HumblebeeHerbal.com, Crimeony20. Okay, now we can get to your horrible story. Why do you always assume it's horrible? Because it always is. <laughs> I don't think it's an assumption at this point. <laughs> I got my information from encyclopedia.com, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, content.time.com. You always have like way more sources well, than I Well, because apparently you find better sources where you're like, here's all the information <laughs> I do the I lazy need. way. <laughs> I, well, I, I like click all the articles I can find with them in it and then yeah. I like skim through them and some of them are just really short and yeah. just repeat a lot. Yeah. And some of them have more information. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a story about the Lonely Heart Club. <gasps> <gasps> okay. <laughs> First, I want to tell you about Martha. Martha. Martha was born Martha Jewel Seabrook. Oh, cute. And she was born on the May 6th, 1920 in Milton, Florida. <laughs> Milton. Milton. <laughs> now, every article I read liked to point out that yeah. they that she had some sort of as they all put it glandular issue. What? That began causing her problems as a young child. Causing her to mature a lot faster than normal. Yeah. Um, Uh Uh-oh, that sucks. Said that she had a woman's body and the (gasps) sexual drive of an adult by the age of 10. Oh, no. But that it also made her a little obese. Uh Uh-huh. A little? How are you, like, a little obese? Okay, she had a touch of the obesity. I just feel like you're either obese or you're not. Well, I don't... Okay, they all said that she was... I mean, she was larger. Yeah. But she's not, like, 600-pound sisters or whatever that show is, you know? I don't know that show, but I'm sure you do. (laughs) You know, she was probably, like... In her adult age, she was probably around 230 pounds. So, like, technically obese. obese. Obese, but not like we what we see these. But days. not today. Yeah, <laughs> probably in the in like you know the. Uh, let's see. She was born in the twenties, so like you know the thirties and forties. Yeah. She was bigger than most. This poor woman. I can't imagine going through puberty at ten. Ugh. Oh. And also for them to like sexualize her at ten. I know. Like, I don't it's think so. Really weird. I don't think so. I think okay. she's probably struggling with like what's happening. Not to, her to mention body. that she said that she claimed later. That when she was about 10, her brother sexually assaulted her. <gasps> oh. So it's probably not about like, oh, I'm no. like, I, it's like I was molested, it's so now abuse. I'm going to, oh. whatever. Try okay. and figure out what yeah, happened. Try and, yeah, exactly. Oh. So, and her mother was a real bitch. God, she already has <laughs> enough on her plate. She already has enough. She said that uh, after she told her mother about her brother, sexually assaulting her yeah that her mother uh 
blamed her for it and gave no. her a beating. No. And was like, well, you're bringing that upon yourself because look at how womanly you are. Because look at you chose to go through puberty at yeah, such a young age. You chose your glandular oh issues. Oh, God. This is awful already. And wherever she went, her mother was sure to follow. Oh, God. Like Mary and her little lamb. Oh. So if a boy ever showed interest in Martha, her mother would chase the boy away with insults and threats. Good. Mm, that's a healthy, healthy mother-daughter relationship. Yeah. So, you know, it's really good. She yeah. doesn't want her daughter straying. Talking to anyone. Having any kind of normal interactions. No. No. Throughout her teen years, Martha was the focus of cruel jokes, as children like to be. Of course. And insults, which drove her further within Kids herself. Kids are so mean. So she became pretty reclusive and withdrawn mm-hmm. and had n- not really any friends her age. Aww. Her father was said to be very submissive and eventually abandoned his family when Martha was probably about 10. Oh, So, like, God. around that age, she's, like, going through puberty. Her brother's molesting her and her dad leaves. And her mom's beating her because she's being dad. molested yeah. by her brother. So, no. Fucking A. Totally normal, stable family life. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. A couple times, Martha tried to run away, but then would always end up returning. She was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, like, where where's she going to go? Yeah. And, but she was actually pretty smart. She, after she finished high school, she studied nursing. Nice. And once, <laughs> okay, one source said that because she was so large, uh-huh. she had trouble finding work as a nurse. Yikes. So she ended up taking a job as an undertaker's assistant Ooh. preparing female bodies for burial. Wow. So she wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. And then it's and they like... were like, ooh, you're kind of large, so <laughs> you obviously aren't capable of helping what does that people. Even mean? I don't know. I don't I don't know. But I mean maybe like back in the day you had to be like you got, you got to fit into this little uniform. Trying to fit in the uniform. And, We're not trying to, yeah. you know, spend more money on uniforms. And you like, know how people much are sick already. Yeah. They don't want to see an ugly nurse. Oh, that's true. You don't want to see an ugly nurse. That's just going to make them worse. <laughs> oh my God, God, that's awful. That's so fucked up. Fuck. But eventually she quit that job and she moved to California. Woo! Where she got a job as an army hospital nurse. So she was able so to do nurse. some nursing. Okay. Sources said that during this time... When she was a hospital army hospital nurse, yeah. she was sexually promiscuous. So okay, and I think like that's rude. <laughs> she was like, like in her twenties, like having a good time. Yeah, it's just okay. But maybe those army dudes were they, the ones that were sexually promiscuous. I think someone was because uh-huh. uh, uh, she had a little bit too much fun and Uh-oh. a little bit too little protection. Uh oh, and she ended up pregnant. Oh no. Yikes. And she apparently tried to convince the guy that was the father to marry her, but he was like, I'm good. Oh, no. (laughs) That's not a good thing when you're trying to convince someone to marry you. No. And I'm... If, if, like, she was sexually promiscuous, I doubt Mm. she would, like, date... You know, like, it was probably, like, date here, date there. Except for that could mean that she was literally dating dating someone. That's true. It could have been exclusive. She was a whore. Back that she it, wasn't married. In the 1940s, yeah. uh, whores, whatever. The, the whore standards the a little whore different standards. back then <laughs> than they are now. So, Look, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it out there. I don't think any woman's a whore. No. I'm just going to put it out there. You can do whatever you want. That's right. 
So single and pregnant, she moved back to Florida because that's what oh. she knew. Once in Florida, she began telling people that the father of the baby was a serviceman man who had been killed, killed in the, in the War. Pacific War mm-hmm. of World War II. Classic. That's a good cover. So naturally, all the townspeople were very sympathetic yeah. and they mourned with her. Her loss. Mm-hmm. They even published her story in the newspaper, in the local wow. paper. Yeah. So the town was like rallying for her. Okay. Shortly after her daughter. I mean, it's a good cover. Yeah. Who? If you're gonna be ostracized. <laughs> yeah, you can. I mean, you might as well, you know, make up a story. It's a pretty save good yourself. story for the time because it was very believable. Yeah, save yourself. So shortly after her daughter Willa Dean was born. That's bold. She uh, was hanging out with this guy named Alfred Beck, who was a Pensacola bus driver, and she got pregnant again. (gasps) Oh, honey. Oh, honey. Oh, no. (laughs) Everyone, just, like, wrap it up, okay? Yeah, be careful out there. It's dangerous Unlike the the other guy, he was like, I guess we could get married. Oh. Little convincing. But within six months, they were divorced. Yikes. And then she gave birth to her son. That's not a good track record. No. It's not. They got married while she was pregnant yeah. and divorced while she was pregnant. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's rough. Okay. So once again, single, unemployed, mother of two. She was like, I gotta She didn't escape. find work out there? She didn't. She hasn't found a job yet. Oh. And See, I mean, I understand like Florida's your hometown, whatever, but you had like a decent job in California. You could have like raised your kid. I think she just wanted to get away from the guy that rejected her. I don't know. Oh. Mm. Especially well, if chances he's are he'd go off to war and be killed dead. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, she could have <laughs> no. stayed a little bit longer and <laughs> like. So no, but he would have gotten moved somewhere. I'm sure. I don't think they station people places for very long. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure if she's a nurse on that base. Yeah. She's gonna see him all the time. No, until he gets moved right. though. But who knows what his position was. Maybe that wasn't her calling anyway. So she wanted to kind of escape, and she started buying romance novels and magazines, living her romance fantasies in her head. Here's the thing. Go ahead and buy, you know, romance novels, enjoy it, but my concern with her would be that she would take it too far. Yeah. So, you know, she's just lonely and dreaming of a man who's going to come rescue her. How dare you? It's not porn. It's tasteful smut. Uh, uh-huh. But don't worry. She she still, you know, was applying to jobs and stuff. Okay. And she ended up getting a job in 1946 as, as a registered nurse. Nice. And she was doing so well there that within six months, she was promoted to be the superintendent of the... Now, this is what it was called Uh of the Pensacola Uh Crippled Children's Home in Florida. Uh So she's the superintendent there. Good for her. Yeah. So she's smart. Yeah. When she puts her mind to it, she can. That's got to be hard. Being a nurse is like hard work. Yeah. And she worked her her way up to the very top within six months. That's right. And all sources say that she was actually a really good nurse. Nice. She really cared and really... Oh, so her size didn't get in the way of her nursing. Apparently at this place, the, she, you know, maybe they had bigger hallways. I don't know. Just like more accommodations for a larger nurse. <laughs> oh, God. But she took her job and responsibilities very seriously. Yeah. She even is quoted to say, she said, 
I chose this profession without thought of self and want to prepare myself for this pr profession, not for material gains, but for the purpose of aiding humanity and rendering service to others. Nice. Yeah. In 1947, so a year later after she gets this job there, mm -hmm. as a result of a mean prank a coworker played on her, <gasps> she received an advertisement through the mail for a membership to Mother Dineni... Dineen, but spelled again, but spelled D I N E N E. Dineen. How do you get two Dineen? I don't know. The other one was Daneen. Oh, okay. this one is Dineen. Oh, mm. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> but wow. it was Mother Wait, Dineen's I don't friendly. The prank. Listen, I'm oh, going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> it was for Mother Dineen's friendly club for lonely hearts. So it was basically like someone signed her up for like. Because being like, oh, she's lonely. We're going to sign her up for this stupid, like, this mail-in dating service That's type so thing. That's so dumb, but that could actually help her. Well, <laughs> she said that she was really hurt by the prank, but in an act of defiance, she decided she was going to place an ad. She was going to go ahead and try it. Why not? What's it going to hurt? I mean, it could hurt a lot. That's so funny. You just find, like, a coworker is lonely and, like, sign him up for Tinder. It's hilarious. <laughs> what the fuck? So, yeah, she, like, you know, wrote this ad that... Once again, sources said she conveniently left out her size or that she had children. Who's going to put... Si well, children, I feel like that's, that's important. But who's going to put size? Because in these days, like, what is it? It's the Like 40s. a newsletter? Yeah, no, it's like a news... So you write your ad to the newspaper. I think what it was was people write in their, like, dream... What, what their dream boat is. And then someone at the agency, like, pairs up letters. And they're like, you should be a pen pal to this person and write oh, to them. Oh, okay. And then... Or like, or you could, or maybe it was like printed in like a magazine where you could like read people's and then decide uh -huh. to respond. Right. Something do like you, that. Do you provide pictures? You can. You can, because oh. you're, once you get connected with the person, then you oh. are just mailing okay. mail to each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she waited and waited and every day she would go to the mail and Aww. hope for her response. And within two weeks, she received a letter from a man named Raymond Fernandez. Okay. Who is Raymond Fernandez, you Who may may ask? Who is he? Good question. Yes. Raymond Martinez Fernandez oh. was born December 17th, 1914 in Hawaii to oh. Spanish parents. Nice. And they moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut shortly after uh, Ray Raymond was, you know, a kid, small kid. Mm -hmm. As a teen, Raymond was sent to work for his uncle's farm in Spain. Ooh. And he just, like, lived out in Spain, That's working on the cool. farm, doing stuff. And at the age of 20, he met and married a local Spaniard woman named Encarnacion Robles. Spaniard woman? Spaniard. <laughs> Spaniard lady. Spanish woman, That's maybe? the word, yes. God damn it. Spanish woman. Okay. Okay. They mm -hmm. get married, and they had four kids. Damn. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, he's working, he's got mm -hmm. kids, got a wife, doing good. Yeah. He even served in Spain's Merchant Marines. Whoa. And then also in the British intelligence during World War II. Is this true? As far as I know. Uh, I think so. Okay. He <laughs> Well, he's probably pretty smart then if he's in British intelligence. Yeah. But, you know, one day he's like... Hmm, is this what I want for myself? Four kids and a wife? And... Eh, I'm tired of this. 
Yeah. So he boarded a ship to the United States. Oh, good. With no intention of returning or, Just... you know, letting his family know that he was leaving. <laughs> Did he, he wasn't even like, a, let's get a divorce. It was just kind of like, no. I'm going to pretend this doesn't even exist Yeah, now. he was just like one day like, hey, that ship's leaving for America. I think I'm just going to hop on and... I'm just going to see what happens. Just abandon my wife and four kids. Yep. Good. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. While he was on the ship, somehow a steel hatch uh-huh. fell on his head. <gasps> oh. Uh, causing uh, some damage to his skull uh, and, in turn, his frontal lobe. Fuck. Oh, no. Yes, and as you well know that the... Frontal lobe yeah. involves the ability to project future consequences that result from current actions. Mm-hmm. The frontal cortex function also include override and suppression of socially unacceptable responses, okay. as well as differentiate differentiation of tasks. And so after this, his head kind of hurt all the time, and he had like a big scar on his yeah. head. And it said that it left him bald. Mm. Well, you can't grow know. hair on, like, scar tissue. Yeah, I don't know how big the scar was, but... So, from then on, he started wearing toupees. Well, hide the scar. Yeah, apparently it was very disfiguring. So, I feel like this is... Oh, I feel like this is heading in a great direction. Then. Yeah, so people said that... People that knew him before and after yeah. said that his personality changed. Well, here's the thing, though. Before that happened, he abandoned his wife and children. Yeah, he's already so got a propensity really for being like a, a dick. So, was he really, like, a good guy? And then he just added on to it by slamming his head into a <laughs> steel plate. That sucks. Yeah, so, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a hair specialist. Yeah. So I'm not sure. But anyway, if you've got hair to wash... Oh, that's better. <laughs> You're better. Or a scalp to, ro- to rinse. Yeah, wash your scalp. We've got Humble Bee Herbal's wonderful shampoo bars that are out of this world. It will moisturize your scalp, so... Goodbye, itchy scalp, and hello, shiny hair. Yes, humblebeeherbal.com. Code CRIMEDY20 for 20% off your first order. You know what? You could also probably wash your toupees with it. You probably could. I've washed a lot of things with this, so... <laughs> so then he's on the boat, you know, bang, 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 ouchie. Yeah, Ow. yeah. Okay, he ends up in Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> and when he was in Brooklyn, they he was in the hospital, obviously, for the brain injury. And then they is, patched him up. And... Then he he's like a U.S. citizen, right? Because he was like born in Hawaii. But I don't know when Hawaii got state. Shit. I don't either. Shit. State. State shit. State shit. <laughs> <laughs> when did they get instated in this state shit that we're dealing with now? For all of you listening, it became a state in 1959, which yeah. is pretty late. So definitely not a state. <laughs> so I don't know about his citizenship. But does that mean dad's dad was not a U.S. citizen? Yeah. He's a Hawaiian citizen. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> less about us, more about this. He is getting out of the hospital for a brain injury and he ended up somewhere and he ended up stealing some clothing. How did he even make it to the hospital without dying? That's like, it must have oh. happened right when they're pulling up to... <laughs> It's like to ah, New York. New York. <laughs> <laughs> Get him to the hospital, quick. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. 
So. But he ended up stealing some clothing. Okay. And when he was asked why he committed the theft, he said, I don't know. I can't think. I can't say why I did it. Uh. I just saw other men putting a towel or two in their bags. So I thought I'd do the same, only I couldn't seem to stop. They were taking towels. I was like, I'm just going to take whatever I can find. Okay, everything is free, I guess. And because of that, he was imprisoned for a year in Florida. Welcome to America. In Florida. Yeah, I don't know why I was in Florida. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't. Maybe I meant Brooklyn. Well, I mean, they move you around. Maybe they, Florida had a better prison know. for him. Well, anyway, during that time there, he had a cellmate who was okay. Haitian and taught him all about the arts of the voodoo and occult Wow. Things. But apparently it was like the voodoo book that they were using was is like not real Haitian voodoo. Like mm-hmm. it's like what our perception of voodoo is, like what's mm-hmm. like the popular scary voodoo like right. pins and not hoodoo but voodoo. You do the voodoo that yeah. you do so well. Oh. It's a spell. <laughs> Anyway, it makes me want to shoop, 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 but... <laughs> I'm sure they were shoop, shoop, shooping. <laughs> they were doing some shooping, and upon his release, Raymond believed that he could use voodoo to gain mastery over women, women, giving him irresistible oh. power and charm mm-hmm. that all women would be powerless to. Mm-hmm. So he began writing letters to dozens of wanted ads, posting, <laughs> or posted by lonely single women, and... Whenever he would, like, exchange letters, one of the things he would ask is if they could enclose some of their hair. (gasps) No, you Mm -hmm. never give anyone your hair. So he could do the voodoo that he do so well. No. I was going to (laughs) say hair, but then I was like, how's he even going to get hair? Envelopes or envelopes. Listen, okay, you're talking to someone on some kind of dating app. They're like, cool, yeah, just send me some hair real quick. (laughs) No, no. You have to remember, like, hair, I mean, okay, in the 20s, hair was like, very sacred like they would do hair art and stuff with you know like old victorian hair lockets and hair art yeah what was that about hair (laughs) (laughs) ew i don't know but they didn't some of them thought it was sweet that like their gentleman caller wants a piece of me close to him yeah how do you get there i can't desperation i can't make okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) So people did send him their hair? Oh, he got lots of little locks of hair that he would voodoo on. So he's living his best life. He is. He's having a great time. Oh, God. Do you think that he's using their hair to make a toupee? (laughs) No. He's using their hair to do voodoo on it so that he can get them to get their guard, put their guard down. I mean, it might be a cool toupee, though. A multicolored toupee? Yeah, multicolor, (laughs) multi-texture. Technicolor hair coat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the ads he answered was an older woman who he managed to gain her trust enough Uh to empty her bank account and then vanished. (gasps) Oh, no. So the hair worked. (laughs) Close to her bank account. He went through many... Don't ever give anyone your hair. (laughs) He went through many victims with the same M.O., Find desperate women, romance mm-hmm. them until he can take from them what he perceived that they were worth. So maybe it's like stories like this why I'm so like, I, I'm terrified of like dating apps and stuff. 
<laughs> well, stories like this and then stories about, like, internet stuff, too. But, like, we've come full circle. We're, like, back to that where you're, like, basically well, mailing people ended. your hair. I mean, yeah. You, that's that. Actually, when you sign up for Tinder, you have to mail in a piece of your hair. <laughs> and then Tinder holds on to it until yeah. they find your perfect match. Right. And they mail it. Then you exchange hair. It's like chemistry, hair. you know, and you can right. sniff each other's hair bits. Yeah. And then if you get really, Smells like, into important. it, mm-hmm. then you're, like... This hair bit, whoever belongs to this hair bit yeah. is my person. Maybe we should start a dating company where you mail in your hair and the people can come smell the hair. Hair's, hair's love for you. Love hair. Oh. Hair's love, love for you. Love hair's all Love hair's all wounds. So no one else take that. That is our That's idea. That's our idea. <laughs> Copyrighted, trademarked. Yeah. TM. Double stamped. Yes. Double stampy. No erases. No erases. We're going to be very successful. I know. I can't wait for our hair industry. Um, okay. So. Mm, the only, like, flaw would be people who are, like, bald. Well, you know, you're like not bald everywhere. grow out your... No, we're not accepting that hair. <laughs> hey, we don't discriminate. No. Yeah, I do. Oh. No. But. I'm not letting people smell that hair. What? Maybe face... If you can grow, like... Maybe like a lock of your eyebrow. Yeah, just shave something <laughs> off. Leg hair, eyebrow, okay. ear hair. Let's uh, move on. Couple this nose just... hairs. Mm-hmm. Get a good whiff. That's yeah. Well, anyway, oftentimes the victims were too embarrassed to report yeah, anything to police. Of course, that's still like, happens. I've been swindled. Yeah, yep. I know. Uh, in October of 1947, he had convinced a woman he was corresponding with. To go on a cruise with him to Spain. Lovely. And she, of course, paid for both their tickets. Oh, no. While in Spain, they had a great time. They went on the cruise? They went on the cruise. <gasps> they got into Spain. They wined and dined. Wow. He was like, you know, I'm from here. Check it out. I'll show you all the cool things. Yeah. They even checked into their hotel room as Did husband he leave and... her there? <laughs> in a way. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> They checked into their hotel room as husband and wife. Yeah, that's kind of scandalous. Well, this is even more scandalous. For some reason, he thought, hey, you know what? While we're in town, let's go visit my wife and kids. <gasps> what? So he went to his old digs and his wife was like, oh, pleasure to meet you. And like the women got on really what? well. She wasn't like, where the fuck have you been? She was like, I know he sleeps with lots of women. And- How many years <laughs> ago did he leave? <laughs> A few, yeah. And so apparently it was just totally normal and they had a great time the and they fuck? went out on town and they all went, they went to restaurants and got some wine together. This woman must be the chillest woman. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, so the, the other, the woman who went to Spain with him. Yeah. Her name is Jane. Okay. Okay. So, uh, one evening, one of the nights they were there Jane and Raymond had some sort of disagreement or altercation, and then he was seen running out of the hotel room late at night. (laughs) The next morning, though, Jane Thompson was found dead in her room of unknown causes. Oh, I think I know the cause. Apparently, nobody thought that was suspicious that that worked around there. They, like, the coroner was like, yep, I don't know, unknown cause, let's get her buried. In Spain? Yep, with no <gasps> autopsy. What about sending her home? Nope, they just buried her. 
what the fuck? But then... I was laughing because I thought, you know, (laughs) that's his way of solving all of his problems. It's just like, like literally run away. I didn't realize he had murdered her and run away. Well, they didn't realize that either. What the fuck? Someone eventually grew suspicious and was like, we should probably dig up her body and do some Good for that person. And they were going to test for poison. Yeah. But... While that's happening, yeah. Raymond is on a boat back to New York. <laughs> Good. Mm. Like, Ooh, ah, it's about that time. I gotta leave now. And his wife's like, cool, see you in another few years. Yep. Have fun. Goodbye. <laughs> Love you. I'll see you next time I bring a woman home. <laughs> so um, once he gets back to New York, he goes immediately to find Jane's old apartment. What is he? So he's just scamming women for money. He's like not working or anything. Yeah, he. this is his work. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, with a forged document, yeah. ends up taking possession of her apartment Fuck and everything me. inside. Ay. Which is really too bad for her elderly mother who's living <gasps> there. Oh my god. Uh-huh. What would he tell her? Oh, your uh, daughter is dead. Uh, she's buried in Spain. <laughs> and and you way, gotta find somewhere else to slime. live. Oh, fuck. Yep. What a dick. Like, I don't... Ugh. These kinds of crimes, like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, you know, then he's, like, looking and replying to ads and... Kidding. Wait, did he kick her out? What happened? Yeah, he has the apartment. I don't know what he did with the mother, but she's not there, and he has the apartment, and he's, like, living in the apartment. <gasps> and... So she lost her daughter and her, <laughs> and... like, place to live <laughs> slash security yep. all, like, instantly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. So, you know, like I said, he's writing to all these other women, trying to get his next mark. Yeah, he's got to make some money. He comes across Martha Beck's ad. Martha. And decided she was probably a really easy mark, too. Sure. So he wrote to her. Yeah. And he told her that he was a well-respected businessman who made his fortune in the import-export Trade. <laughs> so vague. <laughs> import money from uh, women I export. <laughs> he told her that he was from Spain and that he had just moved to New York recently and that he lived alone and he said, here in this apartment, much too large for a bachelor, but I hope someday to share it with a wife. Ugh. <laughs> I hate him so much. And then he wrote that he knew Martha was a nurse and that he wrote to her because, quote, I know you have a full heart with a great capacity for comfort and love. Uh. They exchanged letters and a few pictures for about two weeks. Oh. So, like I said, the articles like to mention how large Martha is (laughs) and how not hot she was. Oh. So, you know, rude. Very rude. People are harsh. What, they write about how not hot he was? No, he was apparently, I mean, without the toupee, they said. Not hot. <laughs> With the toupee. With the multicolored toupee. He's very charming. some interest. Yeah. And... He's charming. He's got little bits of hair everywhere. <laughs> but obviously she was self-conscious of her weight because mm-hmm. all the pictures that she sent of her were like group shots uh, of, oh, of, her, mm. of the nurses at work. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's not a good... That's where, never a good sign. Yeah, and... If they're all group shots. <laughs> or, I mean, I shouldn't learn the, like, take it from above technique. No, there weren't and the, like... Nope, there weren't the MySpace angle, you know. Mm-hmm. MySpace. That's what they were originally called, Children of the <laughs> Night. Um, what? <laughs> Who are you talking to? I don't to? know. <laughs> Try to tell you a story. <laughs> uh, you went full old man grandpa story. <laughs> I know. I did an, like a really old man joke to Brent, my roommate. Cause he was like talking about going to the gym that night. And I was like, the only gym I do is Jim Beam. <laughs> and he's like, okay, grandpa. <laughs> happened to you i don't know i'm losing it i'm losing it but um okay so yeah pictures blah 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 she was partially hidden in the pictures because she's surrounded by nurses <laughs> she had, like all the other nurses yeah, in front of her just see her face um but little did she know that yeah. looks did not matter to raymond since no, he was not about after that looks. money exactly yeah money 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 Good. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, uh, uh, he assumed that since she was a nurse, she probably owned a house or had some sort of assets. Okay. I don't know. That was. That's why he thought she'd be a good target. On December twenty eighth of nineteen forty seven, he arrived in Pensacola, Florida, to visit her and set his plan in motion. And he was like, "No way! I was in prison here not that long oh ago <laughs> for stealing clothes." <laughs> So Martha picked him up from the train station and was smitten. This is so smitten. brave of these. Yeah, and she brought him directly women. to her house. No. And immediately introduced the children. That he didn't know about. Right. <laughs> oh no. And that's after, not what you do. You know, she apparently he was very good with the children. Uh-huh. He was very charming. And then after the kids went to bed, there was lots of voodoo magic sexy times. Or, right know. away? Oh, yeah. Martha. Brown chicken, brown cow all night. <laughs> <laughs> and she was stoked. She found her man. Martha. She told him she wanted to marry him. Oh, girl. And he was like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> oh, no. After two days, Raymond had learned what was to him the most important fact about Martha. She wasn't rich. She had no money. Oh, my God. <laughs> So he hopped back on the train where he wrote her a letter. After and... two days? Well, no, they spent like two weeks together. And then two oh, days two later, oh, after okay. she's like, we should get married. And he's like, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go. <laughs> and he, yeah, he wrote her a letter when he got home that he just didn't love her. And <laughs> But meanwhile, Martha was telling everyone in town that she was in love and that they were going to get oh, married. Oh, no. So the town threw her a wedding he's shower. He's such a cow- what? Yeah. Apparently, She's you know, really good at getting people to rally around her. They went out and, you know, had dinner and the restaurants. Town. The town was like, wow, look, at he's really charming. And she's like, yeah, he had to go back to New York to settle some things. Like, I'm going to move out to New York and be with him, but we have to figure some of the stuff out. We're going to get married. Okay, so Martha's a little loopy. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow, he can't even, he's such a coward, he can't even, like, tell her to her face. Well, because it's not about caring about humans. No, I know. Him. No, I know. I know. He's like, look, 
I gotta look at your bank account. It's this not is a job work. for him. Okay, <laughs> he just spent two weeks. He wasted out on money his own time. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. when he could have hit up three other lonely heart women. Yeah, he could have been. Yeah, he could have been. So you see his point all along. I do. Okay. I, it makes perfect sense Good. to me. And of course, during this time, the overseers of the crippled children's home. Yeah. For some reason, fired Martha. Uh... So, once again, unemployed and alone with the kids. Do you think she was, she was like, I'm out of here, bitches. Like, fuck I'm all you. Married. I'm going to New York. And they're like, you can't say things like that. And she's like, fuck off. I'm leaving. They're like, you're fired. Maybe. Or maybe she was so, like, smitten with Raymond that during the two weeks he was there, she didn't go to work. Oh, no. Oh, they're like, no look, idea. these kids need help, and you're, like, gone all the time. And she's like, well, let them figure it out. Yeah. Basically, she was like, you know what? It's time to do something for Martha. Yeah. What does Martha want? What does she want? Romance. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So she decides that Raymond is her chance at a fairy tale. She's going to go after it. So January 25th of, eight, of 48, <laughs> after... Dropping her children off at the Salvation Army. Yes, that's right. She just gave what? her kids up. Since Look, Ray- they are like two peas in a pod. They both can just abandon their children. Yeah, apparently at some point Raymond had mentioned how it would be nicer without the kids. What the fuck? You know, and she was like, well, anything how for my man. How old were the kids? Uh, I don't know, like four and eight that or something. That is so awful. No, wait, they kept, they're like really close in age. I don't know, like four and five or something like that. Oh, God. Yep. She just dropped them right off. And she went straight to the train, which took her to Raymond's New York apartment. Does she... I mean, I guess they're writing letters, so she probably knows where he lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, he got more than he bargained for. <laughs> and she was like, knock, knock, guess who? <laughs> And he was like, whoa. And then she was like, guess what? I got rid of the children for you. And he was like, wow, you do that for me? Uh, I'm kind of into that. He's like, I got rid of my children, too. Yeah, and he said, you know what? Maybe maybe you are the woman for me, after all. What? <laughs> he enjoyed the way that she catered to his every need. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And eventually, he felt comfortable enough to let her in on his scheme. That he's bald in real life. <laughs> in real life. No, no. 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 Just that, that, you know, scheme. she was he was swindling women Oh, for just money. that he's a murderer, swindler. Well, he didn't talk about the murder. He was like, so here's what I've been doing. I've yeah. been talking to women and getting their money. And yeah. she was like, okay. She's like, you're the best. That seems reasonable. <laughs> I just love you so much. Like, that sounds fun. Let's go scam some women. Let's do it together. Or, you know, maybe more so she thought that it was her duty and a way to keep Raymond around. Heart. Once someone tells you that, you're kind of like, well, I mean, I guess she's all in. She already abandoned her kids. Oh, There's yeah, like no exactly. going back at this point. Where's she gonna, what's she going to go back to? She's got no job. That's right. Her family sucks. That's right. She's got to be all on board with this exactly. asshole. Mm. So he told her everything. Well, you said not everything. Well, okay. <laughs> Just most of it. Mostly everything. <laughs> and they're going to do their scheming together. Oh, good. So they got the Lonely Hearts ads out, and they're, like, flipping through, and they see this one for an Esther Heaney. 
in southern Pennsylvania. So after a few letters back and forth, Raymond and Martha head to Pennsylvania. Martha would play the part of Raymond's sister. Do they even look alike? He's like tall and skinny and she's like not. But he's like Spanish and like, she's like I mean they're both like white looking. Okay. That's about it. Okay. He's got he's like really angular and she's like really round. Okay. <laughs> Would you believe it if they're like we're brother and sister? I mean I don't know. I think sometimes siblings don't look anything alike. I guess just growing up with you and everyone's always like, you guys are identical. And it's like, thanks. Nah, I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. Some people say we look nothing alike and some people say we look identical. I feel like I've gotten more you look alike. I can tell your siblings. You both have the same mustache? Yeah. <laughs> Mine's coming in nice these days. Oh, the good winter stash. Yeah. Gotta keep your face warm. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so they go down to Pennsylvania and he's like, you know, you play my sister because it'll make me look more respectable. Like, oh, mm-hmm. women are safe around me because, right. look, my sister is with me. and She's going to join in on all the fun. <laughs> yeah. So they they went down. Well, it's kind of like the couples who kill where it's like, oh, it's going to be fine because there's like two exactly. of us and there's like a woman in the car. So yeah. it's like safe. It's safe. Yeah. So after a week you know, Raymond, of Raymond and Esther courting Ew. they got married yep after a week but he's already married in spain also how's martha feel about that she's like trying to marry him and he's like no and then esther's like let's get married and he's like yeah well let's get into that so the newlyweds and martha (laughs) (laughs) went back to the new york apartment Oh, what? Um, Later, Esther told reporters, For four days, he was very polite to me. Then he gave me tongue lashings when I wouldn't sign over my insurance policies. I hate that term. And my t-shirt, a tongue lashing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Turn over my insurance policies and my teacher's pension fund to him. She's a teacher? Yep. Why did he marry her? She doesn't have, like, a lot of money. Just get anything. And then things went downhill after that. Well, obviously, <laughs> if you get yelled at because you're not going to sign over your insurance or whatever, I'd be like, fuck this. She said that she began to hear stories about how he went to Spain with a woman and she died. <gasps> Who's telling those stories? I don't know. Maybe Martha does know, but why would she? I don't know. You know what? It could be because he's in the apartment building and the people who live there could be like, I heard how did she end up in there? Where'd know. she end up? Well, shortly afterwards, the new Mrs. Fernandez mm-hmm. left the apartment minus her car and hundreds of dollars, which Raymond stole from her. So she got out of she it. Was like, I'm out. Yeah. You can keep whatever. I gotta go. Yeah. Good. After Esther, there were many others, including two named Myrtle. Oh, Myrtle. I know. The victims uh, would usually stay at their play at the um, the apartment, the New York apartment, during the scheming. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, uh, one of the issues, other than the obvious of taking advantage of people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but an issue between Raymond and Martha yeah. was that Martha was very jealous. Okay, that's not a good no. You can't be scheming. <laughs> About him, like, having relationships with other women if you're fucking jealous. 
Yeah, she was very jealous. Which, I mean, that's why I think maybe part of it was she thought that this was a way to keep them together. Like, we're going to do this stuff and get money and stuff, but any t- but whenever she saw Raymond and another woman together, she would get very jealous. This sounds so good, mm-hmm. so healthy. So healthy that she would often go to great lengths to make sure Raymond never slept with any of the victims. <laughs> what? How? Like, like one or both of the Myrtles. Uh-huh. She, or with one or both of the Myrtles. She insisted on sleeping in the same bed as Myrtle. <laughs> what? <laughs> After a few days, Myrtle protested, so Raymond drugged her with a dose of some sort of sedative, and they carried Myrtle, who was passed out, onto a bus headed back to where she was from. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, okay. So... He met Myrtle. Yeah. Was like, hey, Myrtle, come on out. Hey, girl. She yeah. comes out to New York. Then his sister, his sister. is like, you I'm can g- sleep in my room. I'm going to sleep We're going to share bed beds. You. And she's like, this is not what I signed up for. Yep. And then, and then, and then Raymond's like, like maybe you're getting, these pills. you're getting hysterical. <laughs> Just take these pills. It'll calm you down. And then she wakes up in her hometown. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Okay. They got it all figured out. Okay, well, (laughs) I don't know what I meant to type or what this auto-corrected, but it says, after beeping. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, after after being robbed of about $4,000, of course. Right. So they took $4,000 from Myrtle, put her on a bus, bus. sent her home. Okay. No one's beeping. They beeped her. (laughs) They beeped her right out of town. So, you know... Martha's trying to cock block left and right, but any time it got past her and sex happened that she wasn't involved in, ew, <laughs> she would become enraged and lose her temper in violent ways. Oh, so some women were actually like, "No, I don't want to sleep in your bed. That's fucking weird." <laughs> Apparently, or maybe they were like, "Hey, Martha, could you go get us some smokes at the corner store?" And then they were able to like uh- share Martha's bed. Ew. <laughs> okay. Okay. They swindled money out of many women before they met Janet Fay, who was a 66-year-old widow who lived in Albany, New York. How old are they? I'm guessing that's, like, older than them. Yeah, because this is in the 40s, so, like, you know, they're, like, in their 30s or... Okay. You know, late 20s, early... I think... Raymond is in his 30s and Martha is in her late 20s. People live so much life. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Well, you got to have a goal, like swindling women, and then you you can... I think that's the key. You got to have a goal and, like, follow your dreams. Yeah, something like that. Get some hair and voodoo. Yep. (laughs) So... Um, Janet was a re- was a religious woman of the Catholic persuasion, so of course okay. Raymond tailored his letters to mentioning God and religion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then Raymond and Martha got a hotel room in Albany, so that Raymond could voodoo the voodoo. Uh huh. And they were like, he was like, oh hey, we just my sister and I happened to be in town. Oh, fancy just that. Visiting and yeah. we thought that it would be nice if we could meet up. Mhm. So Janet was like, "Okay." And they went on some dates and Martha was introduced. Janet thought that they were really 
a nice, you know, brother and sister couple. Yeah. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> yeah. And Raymond proposed to Janet. Wow. And she accepted. What? Okay. <laughs> He's like, let me pop by and meet mm-hmm. you. Let's get married. And she's well, they like, went on some let's dates. do it. <laughs> and then she was like, you know, you're a uh, you're a man of God. You're and your a Catholic. Sister, yeah, I'm a Catholic. Same values. That's your it. sister is plump and lovely. <laughs> Let's get married. Let's get married. And, okay. you know, why not? Let me not question why Never this... question romance. Okay. Mm-hmm. You never know when it's the one and Age it's your gap, time. That's when you know. <laughs> no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a big sign. So, um, before they, oh, so they decided that they were going to move to Long Island, where Martha had conveniently rented an apartment for them all. Oh, that's so sweet of her. But before they left, they were like, oh, Janet, you might want to take your money from the bank accounts that are in Albany, New York, because I don't think the transfer is all the way out to Long Island. Yeah, you're not going to be able to find a bank out there. No, so, so she emptied her bank accounts. Yeah. Of about $6,000, which in today's money is... A little over $32,000. Okay. And so the three of them are now on Long Island. Uh-huh. And one night, Martha had had enough of Raymond giving Janet all the attention. <laughs> Wait, did they get married then? I guess so. They had to have. She's yeah. Catholic and yeah, living yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Her and Martha aren't sharing a bed right now. So you're right, you're right. <laughs> So... Janet, I mean, sorry, uh, so Martha saw Janet and Raymond in bed together, mm. and she screamed, I won't allow you to live with us. You're the most brazen bitch I've ever seen. <gasps> Whoa, what? <laughs> An argument followed, during which Raymond allegedly told Martha, keep this woman quiet. I don't care what you do, just keep her quiet. Martha later says, The next thing I knew, Raymond had me by the shoulders and was shaking me, she said. Janet Faye's body lay at her feet, bleeding profusely (gasps) from a severe head wound. Wait, so Raymond told Martha to keep Janet Janet quiet. quiet, Mm -hmm. And then she doesn't remember anything except for being shaken awake. Yeah, and then she looks Uh, down and she's like, huh. There's also, uh, Janet was also bludgeoned with a ball-peen hammer. (gasps) And then garroted using a scarf as a tourniquet around her neck. Where did all that come from? Well, I mean, you know, you don't carry your your ball-peen hammer in your house dress? I don't think I have a (laughs) ball-peen hammer. (laughs) Should I get one? Does everyone own a ball-peen hammer? You gotta have that (laughs) (laughs) ball-peen. And Martha said that immediately after the killing, she was in some type of trance. Oh my god, that's a load of shit. Yeah, and that they, uh, they cleaned up the room, mm-hmm. and they wrapped Mar- uh, Janet's body in towels and sheets, mm-hmm. and just kind of shoved her into the closet, and they went to bed. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. The next day, Martha and Raymond go out into town, and they're like, we need, like, a human-sized trunk. Uh-huh. So they bought a trunk, and they brought it back to the house. Who killed her? Well, it's his word against hers. They both are pointing the finger at each other. I mean, she says she blacked out, he says she did it. Okay. 
So they get back to the apartment with the trunk. They put Janet's body inside. And uh, apparently a lot of houses in these days have just like dirt floors in the basement. Because he went down to the cellar and dug a hole and put the trunk in the hole, buried it up, and then covered the gravesite with cement. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty common. Then he and Martha spent the next week cashing Janet's checks and writing letters with the typewriter to her family saying that she was really happy and was going to get married or was married, you know, basically like, she. Was, <laughs> I don't know exactly. It was basically like, oh, I'm, you know, me and Raymond or what he was using a code name uh-huh. with her. So okay. it was like, oh, me and Tom, like mm-hmm. are in, we moved to Florida. We're having a great time. And his sister is tagging along as always. Yep. And here comes Martha. She's <laughs> so lovely. We love her. We're just so happy that she's with us all the time. But by doing this, they made a huge mistake. You see, Janet neither owned a typewriter nor knew how to type. Uh, So when her family received the letters, Mm -hmm. they were like, police. Mm -hmm. They notified police that something was wrong, that they needed to check in with Janet. Wow. Wow. But, you know, in the meantime, they are off on another journey to find another You know what they should have said in the letter was, like, I... Learned to type? No. (laughs) Look how good I am. I learned to type. Or he could have said, like, oh, I'm transposing this letter for her. But he didn't know that she didn't know how to type. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm Touche. So he didn't learn very much about his wife, did he? (laughs) No. I mean, how much are you going to learn in a week? (laughs) True. So, Plus, the murder seems like it was kind of unexpected, so. Yeah. You got problem solve as you go. <laughs> not planned. Martha got a little crazy, okay? Uh, She's not sticking to the plan. Martha's a loose cannon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both kind of they, are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their next victim was in Michigan. So off they went to meet a young 41-year-old widow named Delphine Downing, who had a two-year-old child called Raynell. Wait. I said called like a Brit, like in England. <laughs> she, how old? Forty one. She's forty one. Wow, yep. and her two year old. Wow, two year old right now. Mm-hmm. And um, she must have been like recently widowed. Yeah. Aww. So they did the kind of the same spiel. They're in town. Oh hey, let's meet up. Uh, you live here. I'm visiting. Let's meet up. <laughs> uh huh. So cool. And Delphine was like, "All right." Pretty, uh, pretty normal to go on a date with this weather woman who's probably in the background, just heavy breathing, Ew. watching you. Like that Hey Arnold character. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I picture. And she's like glaring at you. <laughs> yeah, just daggers. And you're like, oh, her sister seems nice. <laughs> um, uh, Delphine, however, was charmed by Raymond and once again he was really good with her baby he was courteous so eventually tonight was the night when two become one you know what I mean I mean I know Spice Girls so I do know what you mean (laughs) so you know meanwhile Martha's like seething in the background I thought he didn't like kids he doesn't 
Why do you ruse. choose a woman with well, a baby? I don't know. The, I mean, it could be like a Martha situation where you don't mention it in the ad that you got a baby. Maybe. I don't know. Plus, he's hoping just in and out, get the money, and run. Yeah, okay. So, a few days go by, and one day, Delphine accidentally walked in on Raymond in the bathroom without his toupee. And she was so startled by the scar and the hideousness of him. How good was his toupee? (laughs) It was real good. Back in those days? That's surprising. I don't know. She was really alarmed and then started accusing him of fraud and deception. She must have really believed that he had hair then. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Okay, so... I assume so. So, you know, similar deal. She was hysterical, and Martha was like, you should take these pills, dear. You're getting a little crazy. Ew! And then she was like, okay, I'll take some pills. And as the drugs are starting to kick in, Raynell, the baby, started getting upset and crying. Oh, no. Because, you know, her mother is, like, being drugged. And since Martha had all this pent-up aggression, aggression, she grabbed the child and started to choke her into oh, unconsciousness. A two-year-old? Oh, God. So there were obvious bruising around Raynell's neck. Yeah. And Raymond got super upset, not because the child was hurt, but because now when Delphine wakes up yeah, and sees her kid... All bruised. She's going to go to the police. I mean, she's already pissed about the wig thing, and now... It's bad. It's bad. Real bad. So he... Raymond goes looking around the house for something to... just put some makeup on there. (laughs) (laughs) What? Your kid had a full face of makeup when he came. I don't know what you're talking about. Look, a lot of people forget to blend the neck. You gotta blend... Blend the neck. You don't want that harsh jawline (laughs) with your orange foundation for some reason they're always orange it's always got an orange tint i don't know that i've ever met an orange person in real life but nope just oompa loompas the makeup says we're all orange (laughs) well he went around the house and he found delphine's dead husband's handgun he wrapped you're gonna (laughs) hand dead husband ah yes he's like like, huh she's a murderer (laughs) no he found the gun, Uh-oh. and he wrapped a blanket around it to muffle the noise. Silencer, no! Put the muzzle up to Delphine's head. No! And pulled the trigger. She... Why not just leave? Like, maybe she's gonna get pissed, but then you'll be, like, out of town. Like, literally run away. It's not their M.O. Leave her and her baby alone. She died instantly, with Raynell oh. watching the entire <gasps> Oh, my God. So, like before, Raymond went down to the basement dug a hole they wrapped her in some sheets and buried her and he covered the grave with cement while martha cleaned up the crime scene for the next few days and they're at her house at Mm -hmm. delphine's house Mm -hmm. so for the next few days they looted the house for valuables checked cash where's the baby cashed checks i was about to tell you okay okay so, you know, they're like, finding all the valuables. During this time, Raynell is still crying and refusing Aww. to eat. So they're like, what are we going to do about this kid? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of a messy, loose end. 
and they couldn't come to an agreement. So finally, Raymond told Martha, you know, you started this problem, so you got to finish it. You got to get rid of Raynell. Mm-hmm. So they found a metal tub in the house that they filled with water. Oh, God. And then Martha picked up Raynell and put her under the water Aww. until she drowned. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't kill her, like, right away. Yeah, it's real weird, it's huh? It's weird. Why leave it's her weird. around if they're I just going to kill her anyway? Yeah. Raymond went down to the cellar again and was like, ah, fuck. Dig another hole. Get some more cement. Get some more cement. Jesus. And bury the body. And it's then awful. once that happens, they're like, you know what would be fun to do tonight? Oh, no. Let's go see a movie. We haven't been on a date night in forever. We've been working and working and working. It's like, this is a, I know this is a business trip and all, but let's take in a movie. We deserve it. We, yeah. Let's treat ourselves. Exactly. God damn it. We've been working hard digging ditches and murdering. Murdering and looting. So they went to the movies and Ew. had a great time. And when they got back to Delphine's house to pack up their things, Mm-hmm. They hear a knock at the door. Oh, oh. When Raymond opens the door, he sees two cops. <gasps> oh. Apparently, a neighbor or two got suspicious and called the cops. Oh. Like something's going on at Delphine's house. Yeah, I haven't seen her, and mm-hmm. these other two people are coming in and, in and out. out. <gasps> yep, looking weird oh, and suspicious. Oh, wow. So they were arrested on February 28th, 1980, or sorry, 1980, 1949. Good. And they were brought in for questioning. Neither of them asked for an attorney. Okay. Raymond even said, I'm no average killer. Oh, mm, that's <laughs> a good thing to say to cops. Yep. Mm-hmm. And together they told the whole story. Why? And signed a 73-page confession. Because. Jesus. So their reasoning was, if they confessed in Michigan, because mm-hmm. remember, Delphine is in Michigan. Okay. They wanted to make a deal that they would not be extradited to New York because during that time, Michigan did not have a death penalty and New York did. Okay. So they were like, Martha said, the electric chair scares me. All right, bitch. (laughs) So with the promise that if they told the truth, Raymond could be out of prison in six years with time off for good behavior. So they're going to tell about all the murder. Well... I mean, about dolphins. Right. I mean, yeah, they're gonna, you know. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. So they decided to cooperate with investigators. Well, that was easy. The next day, the case was in the na- was in the nation's headlines. They were in the New York Times. Wherever the two went in custody, photographers followed. Oh, they're famous. Mm-hmm. And the papers were not very kind to Martha. Uh, of course, they were not calling her fat, simpering. Big Martha, a 200-pound figure of wrath. What the fuck? The giggling divorcee, unattractive and a weird woman. The giggling divorcee? Because <laughs> okay. apparently, like... Is that she throwing would, shade? I mean, apparently she giggled a lot when she would, like, And she was see, divorced? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> unattractive. Oh. What was the last one? A weird woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's the meanest of them all. (laughs) In other humiliating terms. Oh. Each newspaper story published during that period included her weight. Good. Which was falsely reported in nearly every instance. Oh, good. Her her actual weight at the time of her arrest was 233 pounds. Why do they know that? 
because they weighed her in. I don't know. You got to get weighed <laughs> They're like, in. like, we need to get to the bottom of this. How much do you weigh? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I assume when you are booked, they probably take your height and weight and maybe ear length and, yes. you know, nose shape and right. eye. A couple of hairs. Yeah. You yeah. got to have all the measurements. That's right. So everyone was like getting all riled up and they wanted to, uh, people were like, you know, like super mad. They wanted, they wanted them to be executed even though they couldn't really be executed in Michigan. But, yeah. But they loved the stories of these people, like, you know, the right. lonely heart killers. Yeah. And so they were like, we should kill them. Let's kill them. <laughs> And during the week of March 8th, 1949, after several phone calls from New York Governor Thomas Dewey to the state of Michigan, a deal was cut with Kent County prosecutors. They would waive criminal charges for the Downing murders and permit New York to extradite the defendants to face (gasps) charges in the Janet Fay murder. (laughs) So June 28th, 49, their trial starts. A young Manhattan attorney, Herbert E. Rosenberg, was chosen to represent Martha and Raymond. Oh, okay. Of course, you know, one attorney to represent both defendants. Well, they're actually being tried together? Yep. That's crazy. uh, It said one attorney to represent both defendants was a violation of ethics and unfair to the accused. Yeah. But the decision was allowed to stand. (laughs) (laughs) They're basically like, fuck you. We don't care. We don't care. We can't we made waste promises. money. We made promises that we wouldn't extradite you, but you know what? Go fuck yourselves. Yeah, yeah. So the prosecution began its case with a barrage of witnesses, including the medical examiner, friends of Janet Fay from Aww. Albany, and the landlord from Janet's apartment. Yeah. Michigan investigators followed them to the stand, and forensic detectives later explained the substantial physical evidence to the court. Raymond took the stand on July 11, 49. Mm-hmm. Always a good idea. He, he denied any role in killing Janet. He thought Janet. he was going to charm them all. Yeah, he said that he had only met Martha like a really short time before. How was he supposed to know she was crazy like that, you know? Yeah, how was he supposed to know that bringing, you know, your girlfriend along to meet other women would be a bad idea? Right. And, you know, he acknowledged that admitting or he that confessing to the Michigan authorities yes I did confess but I want to retract the entire statement because yeah. he said he confessed only to save his sweetheart Martha <laughs> and in a soft voice and often smiling over at Martha as she Ew. nodded as she nodded approvingly during his testimony Ew. he appeared the picture of the sophisticated so he's gentleman. like <laughs> He's basically like, oh, I only confessed because I wanted to save Martha because she's the one that did it all. Yeah. But like, but I, I was just bad. trying to confess, but I'm taking it back now. I still yeah. love her, but she did it all and it really wasn't my fault at all. Yeah. He said. Oh, As she's smiling at him. And giggling and stuff. He said, all my statements were made for the purpose of helping Martha. Oh, <laughs> what a dick. He said, I love her. Uh-huh. It couldn't be anything else. I don't. Okay. But, you know, the defendants had too much against them. Yeah. And their and then their confession from Michigan was read at trial. The court gasped when they heard descriptions of the murders. Okay, this is Martha talking in the confession. She said, I can still hear it. The blood was dripping, dripping, oh. dripping. Into the and... future. <laughs> blood Ba-da. keeps on dripping, dripping, dripping. 
into the future. And the sound of it was... But, uh, the sound but, of it uh, just sounded like it could be heard all over the house. Oh, it's like the telltale heart? I guess. Ew. The drippy, drippy heart. Don't tell my heart. My drippy, drippy heart. While Raymond was strangling Mrs. Faye, she said, yeah. her false teeth fell out. Whose? I think Mrs. Faye. Okay. They had the presence of mind to dispose of them because we realized in case her body was found, if the teeth were there, that would be a mode of identification. So they were like, oh, her, her teeth are fake. They fell out. We Didn't should... they bury her in the basement? Yeah, but they took her teeth and like destroyed Yeah, them. but wouldn't that be identification? Look, they put cement like, over it. The woman who lives here is missing. We found her body here. And a new slab of cement. Chances and... are yeah. it's her. Well... They're not the brightest. Uh, clearly. D.A. Robinson then asked Raymond if he shot and killed Delphine Downing. Mm-hmm. He simply said, that is true. But when asked if he killed Janet Faye, he denied it. Mm-hmm. At that point, Martha suddenly jumped out of her seat and she said, I think at this time, your honor, I want to take the stand. <laughs> she shouted. Judge, That's not how that works. Judge Pecora adm- admonished her as her attorney pushed her down into the seat. Yeah. So, oh, my turn, my turn. Oh, I have something to add to that. <laughs> the testimony of Raymond Fernandez, including descriptions of extensive sexual relations. Oh, come on. He had had with the various victims. Being like, That's like not I'm necessary. I'm just a ladies man. I can't help it if all these women are He's just like, like let me go into me. great detail about how considerate I am. Yeah, he even talked about how um, Martha and Esther and him would play three-way strip poker. <laughs> the last hand was played for who would have to pleasure who would have the pleasure of sleeping with Raymond. Uh okay, you're Esther and you're playing this game and you're like your sister Yeah exactly <laughs> wants to win <laughs> what? No. Yeah, it's probably another reason that Esther was like, You can keep the car, I'm leaving. Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Gross. Then it was finally Martha's turn to take the stand. Oh, good. She did, too. She began with her childhood and how awful it was. <laughs> well, it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she said that when she was a child, she was subjected to two incestuous attacks, which left her frightened and shy. Yeah. And apparently also pregnant. <gasps> um, she said that the assaults, uh, the assaults preyed on my mind ever since. She dreamed constantly of being in love. Life was not worth living, she explained. I'd rather be dead than to continue arguing with my mother each day of my life. She said that her mother was overbearing to such a degree that I had to give her a day-to-day story of whom I was with and what I did. Mm. She said that she attempted suicide on several occasions. Oh, God. And she claimed that she knew Raymond was a murderer and that she helped him find lonely women to victimize. Raymond got quite a kick out of the photographs of some of the old hags who write, who would write to him and especially or and expect him to correspond with them, she said. When questioning turned to Mrs. Fay, Martha said that the last thing she remembered, Raymond ordering her to keep Miss Fay quiet, then she found herself standing over Miss Fay while Raymond shook her, screaming, My God, Martha, what have you done? Oh, when the... She's saying this? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what she remembers. Okay. When the prosecutor asked her, asked about her love of 
Raymond. Martha defended him. We loved, e we loved each other, and I consider it absolutely sacred. You referred to the love-making as abnormal, Ew. but for the love I had for Raymond, nothing is abnormal, she said. That's not how it works, but okay. <laughs> she said, a request from Mr. Fernandez to me is a command. <gasps> Ew! I loved him enough to do anything he asked me to do. That's not love. <clears throat> For three days, she was questioned relentlessly by Nassau County District Attorney Edward Robinson Jr. At times, tearful, angry, rebellious Martha gave details of her sexual relationship with Why Raymond. Why all? <laughs> it was said to have made um, some of the women in the courtroom leave because they were like, it's too scandalous. <laughs> When she began to describe certain sex acts connected to the practice of voodoo, oh. a, a contingent of t two dozen cops had to be called to the Bronx Supreme Court building to contend with the crowds that tried to push their way into the courtroom. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what? Like, we gotta this hear is getting this. juicy. Get in there. We gotta hear this. <laughs> the New York Times reported the Lonely Hearts murder trial was disrupted yesterday afternoon by a near riot of would-be spectators outside the courtroom. <laughs> they really needed to get in there. Yes, it's important. Oh, wow. Following Prosecutor Edward Breslin's straightforward presentation of the blood-curdling facts, the defense set out to prove insanity. A psychiatrist A psychiatrist declared her mentally unsound and said that even if she participated in the killing, she had no idea what she was doing. Defense attorney Robert R R Herbert Rosenberg contended that Beck had killed Faye in a fit of insanity inspired by jealousy and tried to prove that Raymond had no part in the crime. Mm. Someone got a hammer. Someone got a hammer. From somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know? Someone did some smashing. Yeah. You don't just have a hammer in your room. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -mm. On August 22nd, Martha Beck and Raymond Fernandez stood impassively as Judge Pecora sentenced them both to die in the electric chair Yeah. on October 10th of that year. Oh, what? They didn't explain it away? Within the hour, they were on their way to Sing Sing Prison Ooh. on the banks of the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. Martha became inmate number 108594. And Raymond became number 108595. Oh. As time went on, Martha and Raymond carried on a love-hate relationship that changed almost daily. So like writing letters back and forth. Oh, good. Incredibly, all during the time he spent on death row and apparently unknown to Martha, Fernandez continued writing and professing his love for his first wife, Encarnacion, what? who was still in Spain with his four children. He wrote, Do you think he'd been writing to her the whole time? Probably. What the fuck? Uh, he said, Kisses and hugs to the children, and you receive a million kisses and hugs from the one who always who always will have you until the last second of my life. No, you gave her up. Encarnacion, who knew that he was involved with many other women, still considered him to be her husband. And wrote, do you prefer me to fly to you and spank you for not writing, just as if you were a little child? Kisses from the children. All my love to you from your wife, Encarna. 
what the fuck <laughs> what uh, yeah i don't know i mean i guess she took marriage very seriously we're still married even if you're <sighs> not in the same country wow uh, for some reason i mean i think it's because they were talking about her size but they like they wanted to throw in that martha's last meal consisted of fried chicken no wings french fries no wings no just the just the drumsticks <laughs> okay <laughs> french fries yeah and a lettuce and tomato salad okay um that's pretty basic yeah Raymond had... I don't... How do you feel about the last meal thing? Well, I don't think most places do it anymore. Well, I don't think they deserve it. Why do they get to, like, be all gourmet and shit (laughs) and demand, like, only chicken drumsticks? (laughs) I don't know. I I think that's why they ended it in a lot of places. Okay. Um, Raymond ordered an onion omelet, french fries, chocolate, and a Cuban cigar. An onion... You could have anything. Onion omelet. Maybe he was like, I'm going to breathe on the guard so they won't get near me during my execution. Okay. He he was especially nervous and confided to prison guards that he may not hold up under the pressure of the execution. As the hour grew nearer, Martha sent Fernandez a note professing her undying love. The news brought to me that Martha loves me is the best I've had in years. Now I'm ready to die, he said. They shouldn't have been allowed to talk to each other. No. So tonight I'll die like a man. Fernandez was a broken man, panic-stricken and paralyzed with fear. He I thought he said it was all good. Yeah, I know. He he was shaking in his boots. So much so that he couldn't even walk to the chair. They had to carry him. Oh, no. They carried him. Oh, no. And then he was executed. Yeah. Martha said before her death, what does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story. No, it's not. But only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. It's not love. I was pictured as, pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I am not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? In prison, imprisonment in the death house has only strengthened my feelings for Raymond. Oh, God. Then it was Martha's turn, and mm-hmm. she was able to walk to the chair herself. <laughs> and her last words, she said, so long, and was executed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go... The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. I personally think that Raymond was a tossed salad and Martha was a bit of a scrambled egg. I don't really know what to think of Martha. Like, I feel like... I feel like she was so desperate. Yep. But I don't know that that means that she didn't know what she was doing. I think that she knew what she was doing was wrong, but she was so desperate to keep this, like, loser that she just went along with it. And if she had, like, extreme jealousy issues and would fly into a rage and strangle a child... Yeah, well, it seems like she was damaged from childhood and yeah, never got any, sure. like, good attention. It was always bad attention. And yeah. And she was, like, desperate for this Prince Charming romance thing. And yeah. And meets some guy who she thinks is super awesome. And he's like, hey, I love you so much. I'm going to let you in on my scheme. Yeah, but it seems like she, like, went along with oh, it yeah. knowingly. Like, I think she was loopy. I don't think that she was out of her mind, though. Okay. 
Would you say she was an onion omelet? <laughs> I think she was just a lettuce and tomato salad. Just a basic salad. No dressing. Basic bitch. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> that was a sad story. I mean, aren't they all? They all are. Yeah, they are. That was really sad, though. Big Martha. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Should we lighten the Let's lighten the mood lighten with some criminy sakes. And now for the portion that we like to call criminy sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. I don't know where I got Associate Press or something. Ireland's Supreme Court has ruled that bread sold by the fast food chain Subway contains so much sugar <laughs> that it cannot legally be defined as bread. Oh, yes. The ruling came in a tax dispute brought by Bookfinders Limited, an Irish Subway franchise, franchisee, who, uh, which, arraign, or which argued that some of its takeaway products including teas, coffee, and heated sandwiches, were not liable for value-added tax. A panel of judges rejected the appeal Tuesday, ruling that the bread sold by Subway contains too much sugar to be categorized as a staple food, which is not taxed. <laughs> there is no dispute that the bread supplied by Subway in, this, in its heated sandwiches has a sugar content of 10% of the weight of flour included in the dough, and thus exceeds the 2% specified, the judge mm. read. The law makes a distinction between bread as a staple food and other baked goods which are or approach confectio confectionery or fancy baked goods, the judgment said. Subway disagreed with the characterization of the statement. <laughs> They're like, how dare you? Yeah, Subway bread is, of course, bread, the company said in an email. We have been baking fresh bread in our restaurants for more than three <sighs> decades, and our guests return each day for sandwiches made on bread that smells as good as it tastes. Bookfinders was appealing a 2006 decision by authorities who refused to refund value-added tax payments... Lower courts had dismissed the case before it reached the Supreme Court. Subway said it was reviewing the latest tax ruling. It added that the decision was based on an outdated bread exem exemption set by the Irish government that was up updated in 2012. Mm, they're really fighting for that, <laughs> that bread designation. It like, is it's more like a cake bread, at this God point. Damn it. We call I it realize... bread, it's bread. <laughs> I didn't realize there was so much sugar in it, but that makes sense. Also, never have I ever been in a subway and thought, mmm, that bread smells good. No. It smells like subway. Yeah. It's got a very distinctive Like a little bit like smell. feet, like foot bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got a, yeah, subway smell. And then it's always kind of like smushed, too. Yeah. Their bread's like... Smushed and Not goofy. good quality bread. <laughs> it's not. But they bake it every day for three decades. So. They've been around for... That long? 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, that Started makes in sense. Started in like 90. I never... 80. Not... 90. I never don't remember Subway being around. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, a Japanese cross-dresser in Nagoya thought he could avoid detection by donning a school uniform during his criminal acts. Cute! Wearing a navy blue miniskirt, white blouse, and shoulder-length brown wig, he was spotted bag-snatching from a number of women. 
Unfortunately, the 24-year-old Japanese... Unfortunately for the 24-year-old, Japanese schoolgirls school don't sport a 5 o'clock shadow, <laughs> nor are they 175 centimeters tall. Oh. The thief was arrested at a train He's station. He's a big girl. <laughs> He's a Martha. He's just a Martha. <laughs> too oh big God. to be a nurse. <laughs> too big to be a schoolgirl, too big to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Gotta get a scheme. <laughs> Let's see if this one's funny. Okay. <laughs> says the suspect is described as a white male with a machete, Uh-oh. though he might have cheese sauce and maybe <laughs> some pepperoni in his hair. <laughs> Police in Delaware say the owner of a pizza shop foiled a robbery by, yes, throwing a pizza at the intruder, <laughs> reports the Delaware News Journal. The incident happened in Greenwood late Friday when a man with a machete entered Stargate Pizza at closing time and demanded money. Per a state police release. The store owner advised the suspect that he did not have any money and then threw a pizza at him, causing the suspect <laughs> to flee. According to the police statement, alas, it is it has no more details on the pizza itself or if, say, it was in a box at the time. The would-be robber ran out and fled in a car and police are now looking for tips. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay, that was, that was better to leave off on. Okay. Well, okay. thanks for listening and tuning in. Yeah. Please check out our sponsor, Humblebee Herbal. Code CRIMINY20 at checkout to get 20% off That's your first CRIMINY order. CRIMINY and the number 20. C-R-I-M-E-N-Y-2-0. Humblebeeherbal.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Listen for us next week, and we will be back with more fucked up shit to tell you. The end. Goodbye. Bye. Why they get to, like, be all gourmet and shit? (laughs) Shakes the shit out of his thing. I can do the muffle shuffle. Well, maybe that would add some spice to our show. That wasn't funny at all. That wasn't funny. Aww.